Ladies and gentlemen, jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. This is the Hagman Report for today. It is Tuesday, May 22nd, 2018. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for your belief and your trust in us. If you are not angry, if you are not concerned, if you are not believing that, uh, I, I don't have anything, any, but. Yeah, it's a little on my headset. Okay, so yeah. Um, if you're not looking over the, the political landscape, thank you very much, uh, of the, uh, of America, you're not paying attention. Simply put, you've got, now, this is going to be breaking news to the Hagman listening audience only. The breaking news is this. There are not one spy. There was not one spy in the Trump campaign. There were not two spies. There were three. Three. Now, it's 22nd of, of May, 2018. You will hear about this. It might be June. It might be next week. I don't know. They're already indicating, Joe, what, another one? Uh yeah, at least spot. two I can I I have seen uh, okay. Stephen Halper, Stephon Stephon Halper, Halper right. sorry, and the second right. one is unnamed, but James Clapper alluded to it, and let me pull up the quote here where he said having people inside having um, embedding spies inside Trump campaign is a standard investigative practice that goes on all the time. Now, according to the Gateway pundit, uh, this is where this article is posted. Uh, Deep State got caught spying on candidate Trump. Now they're spinning this as good as a good thing and normal uh, procedure. And I, I've seen this on the New York Times, on the Washington Post. I saw it on CNN today. They are framing this as uh, one of two ways. One, this was to protect Donald Trump from foreign governments, making sure that he did not, you know, do anything damaging to himself, which goes against the whole narrative and uh, of their conspiracy. And they're also spinning this as well. You know, this is something that needed to be done because. The President Trump was meddling and colluding with a foreign government, and therefore the in, in, the moles were justified inside the campaign. Right, right. That, that, that's the ticket. John Lovitz, right. So, so here we have it, the 22nd day of May. We are into more than a year of the special counsel. We're into uh, 500, roughly 500 days of the President Donald Trump, uh, or Donald Trump presidency. You have Donald Trump being under fire since day one, since he really announced being a Republican candidate. And I'm so tired of, of people in the alternative media who are not backing our president, our yeah. duly elected president. And I'm, I'm here to tell you right now, I, I back Donald Trump. Now, no one is flawless. He's not a pastor. He's not a minister. He's got a past. We all have past. Look, it, it, it is what it is. But you compare it, you line up Donald Trump to Obama, to Clinton, to, to, to uh, uh, Bush. Sanders, Bush. The, the lot of them. Yep. Okay, you've got a guy that is at least attempting to drain this murky, fetid, putrid swamp. And more importantly, yeah. bring back economic and military strength and That's confidence right. in the in, into America. And that is what we've seen him do. We were talking about this just before the show. There's an interesting video out there of Glenn Beck, the once never Trumper putting on a MAGA hat saying how he much he loves Donald Trump and whether this is for publicity or whether he really feels What's wrong that way. with that boy? I mean, seriously, what is wrong with Glenn Beck? Good question. What, what happened to him? 
I don't know. He had such a promising uh, career. All right. Uh, you, you know, again, we, we had an old saying, you know, uh, there's something wrong with that boy. All right. Now, look, I've been quoted by Glenn Beck. I, I he, he knows of me. We don't have a close relationship, okay, but in the past he's, uh, I've sent him information. Uh, there's been some dialogue, minimal dialogue. Um, but the fact is, he changed so much back a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. When did that start? It was it was after the Fox TV show. After he right. launched his uh, GBTV, and then he had a series of unfortunate, I'd say, mistakes and mishaps. One of the most important in 2016, saying that he would he was considering voting for Hillary Clinton, that he would never vote for for Donald Trump. And since then, he has really seen a huge decrease in his audience. Right. Uh, there's speculation that he's looking to sell his uh, network the blaze there is talk that he's had to um down well we know he's had to downsize significantly and possibly sell other assets but you know i, I don't know that's why i'm asking is this genuine is he uh seeing you know look i have uh pretty much burned my bridges and i need to uh make up ground or man, is he it's sincere hard do, it's, it's hard you know, to tell that's yeah, the problem yeah you, you don't know what's in a man's heart you can only tell and, and and i mean that you don't know what's in the guy's heart but by the by the way, uh, again, I just want to come out, kind of affirming things. Here we are, mid-May, getting close to uh, actually almost the year. Yeah, we're at the end of May. Yeah, close to. Think about this: five months going on the sixth month of 2018. How time has gone so quickly. But but here's the thing: we need to stand behind the people who stand for. The Constitution for for liberty, for freedom, for the Bible, for um, for the nuclear family, for for God, country, and God, God gun and God guns <laughs> and guts. That's what we need to stand for or with, and we need to back people like that. Now we also need to recognize, in my view, the right for people to like uh, right wing watch, for example. As much as I despise, for example, their content, their ideology. You've got to you've got to say they've got a right to speak, and certainly censorship is not something that I would recommend for them. Let the market decide. But we are seeing so many people frag friendlies. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Let's not frag friendlies. Let let's gather together and form a formidable force and stand up against the very people who we are fighting and attempting to take down. That's where I'm at at this point, because I see a war coming. I see storm clouds. Oh yeah, this is what I see. Well, I'm talking, you know what, I, and this is something I've been really loath to say, but I see a shooting war. I see pockets of domestic, or pockets of, of, of shooting violence in this country over ideological divides. I, I'm seeing that more and more. And, and when you, I, I'm, that frightens me because I don't think people know, I mean, how many people, and I'm tossing this out there. How many of you have even seen someone shot? Or how many of you have actually shot someone else or have been shot at? You didn't see what I did this morning. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a different world out there. It's, I mean, it's all, well, I shouldn't, it's a different saying, you know, having the, 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 the keyboard muscles and the beer muscles and the bravado. Yeah. That's a I mean, lot different than the real life stuff. And, and people do say, oh, bring it on, you know. Yeah. Uh, they don't I'm know ready. what they're asking. No, they they don't because it's it's more than just an initial you know two minute gun battle. You're talking about fighting for your survival every second of every day uh, for the foreseeable future. And 
that is a lose-lose situation for everybody. And thankfully, it has not got to a point where we see a shooting war. But there is an ideological war in this pray. country. There is a spiritual war in this country. Yeah. And it is increasing its intensity and manifesting in different ways, like we see with the school shooting and, and other things. Um, you know, you talked about the war on, on fake news. I just want to throw this out there. I did. Um, no, I did indirectly, yes. The Boy Scouts. Okay, so we, there's a uh, storyline going out. Boy Scouts to provide condoms at upcoming World Jamboree. So Snopes took it upon themselves to do a fact check. Did the Boy Scouts of America implement a new policy requiring condoms to be available at the Jamboree? What did they say? No, it's mostly false. Mostly false. The claim, okay. Boy Scouts We're... implemented a new policy requiring condoms oh, to be available at the quadrant, uh, at the World Scout Jamboree shortly after announcing that girls would be able to join the organization. It's mostly false. Why is it mostly false? Because it's not the Boy Scouts, uh, who are going, who made this decision. It's the World Organization of the, of Scouts. But the handbook <laughs> requires the host organization ensure that condoms are readily and easily available for all participants at a number of locations at the site. So, yes, there will be Boy Scouts being provided condoms at the World Jamboree World Organization of the Scout Movement event. Snopes, just get off the Internet. Well, but see, let the, let, let the free market, let the reasonable, reasonable people decide. You look at a, 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 an entity like Snopes, in my view, it's useless. It used to be, at one point in time, it used to be pretty good in terms of uh, saying, well, this is a uh, this is a phishing scheme, you know, for the internet stuff, but or an urban legend. But now it's just turned into this this massive agenda, in my view, that's antithetical to what we're doing. So, so we've got this decline. And by the way, my wife and I were talking about this earlier in, in the office. Think about this. You know, how many what thirty, forty years ago? I'm just going to go down memory lane here. Um, do you remember people used to dress up to go to church? Do you remember people used to dress up to fly? How about uh, when when you went to work? The shirt and tie for suits for guys, dresses for women. Um, shopping, you would see people be relatively well dressed. Uh, the homes that people lived in, there was pride of ownership, more so. I would say 40, 50 years ago, 30, 40 years ago, than today. Your living environment, your, your work environment, people took pride in their appearance. People took pride in their, in their assets, what they had. They took care of things. We're not seeing that today. Look at what happened on the, on the, the airplane. Where that guy? The, the, the guy urinated in the back. Of, and that's the end of it. The, the, right. And before that, he, he, he assaulted two women yeah. and then instead of being detained, Instead of being isolated, they put him uh, in drunken state that he was in, in a different seat next to another lady, where this guy urinated on the back of the seat in front of him. Yeah, I'd have look. I have no problem with going over there and punching the guy in the head. Oh, of course okay, not. At I, that I'm point, serious. it's fair game. Uh, I, the, the, you know what? And I mean, that's just me. Um, no, I think most people. Or, or if if I see a guy that's harassing a woman, I seriously. Again, I'm good for like 10 seconds the rest of the fight. Either hand me a gun or I'm going to be fighting from a recliner, okay? <laughs> but I'll tell you what, the first 10 seconds, I'm on fire, all right? But 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 here's the bottom line. I mentioned about the, the appearance and I mentioned about the, the, the... We we as a society, 
have lost our decorum. We, we, or many, I shouldn't say, many of us have lost pride, and pride in a good way, not in, not in a sinful way. Right. People don't care anymore. Right. And, and we need to get back to that, I believe. But can we get back to that? Is there even a desire to get back to that? No. And there it is. No. So how far down the slide are we going to go? And, but, but big news again, CIA. And, and by the way, stuff on helper. You want to know who's responsible for stu- uh, stuff on helper? John Brennan, in my view. Who's responsible for the others? You've got a combination of Brennan and the um, uh, the FBI, Comey, other unnamed infiltrator, and there's a third unnamed infiltrator on an international scale, all working to destabilize the Donald Trump presidency, the campaign, and, and the presidency. So mm-hmm. just keep that in mind. And coming, today, coming up, by the way, Roy Davis, Captain Roy, from Reddit, uh, fantastic investigative researcher, some good stuff to talk about, having him come on a little bit earlier than planned because of the news. Go ahead, Joe. Well, today on, uh, I had CNN on for the first time in a long time, and they were uh, describing, they were, they were trying to defend the use of a mole inside the Trump campaign and, and, and talking it down as though it wasn't as big as a, of a deal as they said it was. And one of the excuses that they gave in order to make the point that it wasn't really a big deal was, well, the one guy said, well, you know, whatever he was talking about, I I didn't take any notes, so, you know, I don't think it was a cabinet-level, administration-level stuff. You know, we were just talking about decorating the dining room and what kind of tablecloth to use and, I mean, things like that. They're completely ignoring what is so obvious to everybody else. This is The war. biggest scandal, the biggest conspiracy against a candidate, then elected president in United States history... If this was George Bush who did this to Obama, it would. Could you could you imagine the absolute blowback? But see, we have a media who is part of the deep state, the the mockingbird media. They are uh, the ones basically who are the the callers for justice and the the uh, you know moral authority here. And they say, you know, no, they're doubling down, saying this is a Trump, this proves Trump needs to be impeached. Even Al Green, the Democrat, says, and they're if we going take back the House, we're going they're to impeach going President Trump. I, I'm going to tell you, he, here's the plan. Impeachment or death, basically. And I'm not, that's not a threat. This is my, my assessment. They want Donald Trump out of there so badly, they're either going to go for full-blown impeachment or, or the JFK route. That's my personal analysis of this. Well, that's always on the table, uh, you know. Is that maybe if he gets a, another term, uh, and, and they see that there's no stopping, you know, him for eight year period? Maybe at that point, maybe uh, before the election, uh, the next presidential election. I just, it would be so obvious uh, to anybody who's paying attention if that happens. Even if they didn't do it, there would be. I don't know. I, I would hope that people would at least come out and protest. We we are we are so close to the to the breaking point. I think. Well, I think we're at the breaking point. We're so close to the the tipping point. The, I don't know whether you saw this. Of course, the Democrat socialists their renewed calls to to confiscate guns all across the United oh, States. Yeah. Bills being yeah. introduced, folks. They're not just coming for their guns. They're coming for you. And Steve Quayle said this to me about fifteen years ago. And I said, Steve, come on, man, just you know, take a chill pill. And Steve will tell you. I mean, him and I, we used to get in some pretty good verbal brawls. And and he 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 don't play nice. 
<laughs> but but uh, I'll just say this. Um, he's right. He was right then. And he's been proven right to me every step of the way, everything that he's he's told me. And I just I wanted to say that, but uh, real yeah, quick here, for it. yes, sir. Before we bring in our guest, but what you said at the beginning of the show, you can find at the Western Journal this headline: Ex-Trump aide comes forward, says there's a second spy, second intel agency, and apparently Keep going. It says there's now a former more. Trump aide is saying there's even more explosive. There wasn't just a mole inside Trump campaign. There was a second spy and an intelligence agency. Michael Caputo is pretty much Caputo the definition was on, yeah of a political lifer. And he's the one who is making these claims, saying on Neil Cavuto, President Trump's top trade advisor, Peter Navarro, recommended appointing Stefan Halper, an academic and suspected FBI informant, on the Trump campaign to a senior role in the Trump administration. That's bad. According to Caputo, things were even worse. Let me tell you something. I know for a fact this informant, this person that they planted, and they tried to plant into the campaign, even into the administration. If you believe Axios, he's not the only person that came into the campaign. And the FBI is not the only Obama agency who came into correct, the campaign. Correct. And, and I'll say this: I don't, I don't know of any other radio program, but my morning show. I named Stefan Helper before, mm-hmm. I, in my view, before any other radio show. And I'm not saying that to say, you know, hey, it's a great show. I mean, it is in my view, but but people were afraid to, to mention his name, and I, I just don't understand why, because the, the amount of evidence that was identifying him by name was there so that's but but there's two others that their names are going to be coming out um i, I just need some, some additional verification on my end and uh be, because these other two C- caputo of course saying there's a second but i i'm going to tell you there was a third that will be identified along with the second so we've got with us a gentleman who i his research his information his postings on Reddit, you know, uh, to me are very valuable. And he's coming to us from a southern state. Uh, we're going to be talking about current events. We're going to be talking about a number of things that uh, uh, involve the current situation with the CIA. Maybe we can get into some, some Awan stuff. Maybe we can get into, well, we're going to get into the whole package. With us is Captain Roy, Captain Roy D., uh, known as Captain Roy D. on Reddit. Captain. Captain, sir, how are you? Good, good. Nice to see you this evening, Doug, and happy to be with you and Joe and your fine audience again. I'll tell you what, um, you, you, you've done some marvelous work, you and your fellow investigative uh, uh, researchers out there, incredible stuff. And people are missing out if they don't read what you're writing and finding and developing, uh, you and others, uh, incredible. And this is where, I, I, you know what, I think this is where people need to turn to the alternative boards no longer can we rely upon uh boards such in my view such as uh, free republic to name one on the so-called conservative slash republican side you got to go for the truth and you and you print the truth so thank you for that well i appreciate that and to to echo what you said earlier i'll back you up you you were absolutely i checked my posting and i you know, I had done that posting that, that day after you did the helper show, and that was 11 days ago. So, okay, uh, just like we had said, other you know, glad to everybody's catching up. Yeah, I- indeed, and I just caught some of the uh, mainstream media talking about. Well, they're just breaking the news that hey, um, 
supposedly there was this spy inserted in the campaign, which uh, I don't know how anyone can, can actually be attuned to the uh, network news. But anyway, uh, where do you want to start? Because there's so much going on here. To me, this is the biggest story of our lifetime. Where do you well, want the, spy, the spy in the campaign is, is no question, because not only has President Trump mentioned that, and uh, of course that carries a lot of weight, but we, we saw Devin Nunes come out recently on the weekend program and say that's an absolute red line. There's no American that will put up with having the spy in opposition's political campaign, especially if it's paid for by the, uh, by the government, by the CIA, by the FBI, or what have you. That's a red line that nobody can support. No, nor, nor they can't, nor should they. How much of this lays at the feet of Barack Hussein Obama, Barry Sattara? Well, the, the actual planning of the spy, and if you want to just touch on the crossfire hurricane. Yeah, let, uh, let's, I'll tell you what, you, uh, you've got the floor. Let's, let's roll it out in the manner that you'd like to, because I, look, I, I realize I lost I lost people during my show this morning because I got into the weeds, and it's once you get in there, it's really hard uh, to, to get back out. So, you take it step. Let's go step by step. However, you want to roll this out. Well, just initially, as far as an overview, the DOJ, the FBI, the White House, and in conjunction with the CIA and and, and Clapper over DNI, concocted a plan to to not only exonerate Hillary Clinton, but to also in the event that just by clearing her that she didn't win outright, that there would be some contingency plans. And, of course, that get into the second phase was the dossier. And, again, when just having the dirt didn't seem to do to be able to do enough for Hillary, they had to turn that into a uh, uh, actual official document and go ahead and apply for the FISA Title I warrants, and that was the third phase. And then, finally, this uh, we're getting into the fourth and final phase of what these guys dreamed up. This all, all was dreamed up in the, the, the winter of uh, 2015, um, to clear Hillary, to do the dossier, to do the, the FISA warrants, and this was the last phase, which was the insurance policy. And that's what has come up in the news recently as far as being called crossfire hurricane. That was part of this phase four, which was the insurance policy. And everybody will remember back to the, the one of the early Peter Strozak texts that came out that uh, when they were talking, him and the page were talking in the uh, FBI, Andrew, uh, Andy McCabe's office, and said, in the rare event that you die before you're at the age of 40, you need an insurance policy. And that's where all this stems from. Uh, Opera- uh, Operation Crossfire Hurricane was uh, was uh, initially the uh, uh, Department of Justice, the counterintelligence uh, plan or plot against uh, then-candidate, then-transition, then-President Trump. And then that, that needed a little help, and that's when they brought in Mueller to, to, to pick that thing up and keep going. So these, these are people that are... Uh, as, as you know and your audience knows, these are serious people. They're not used to having their first plan go south, let alone three in a row, and they're on plan, uh, option four, A, B, C, they're on D, which is now the uh, the insurance policy, and that's, uh, that's, that's kind of where we're at today, and that's where people are now finding out uh, about the, the implant of uh, uh, previously it was uh, uh, people in the campaign that were just uh, to dirty them up. Uh, now we actually have, instead of plants and, and, uh, and, and people being duped, we actually have paid uh, intelligence assets by our government in the, uh, one of the campaigns for the presidential election. And that's, the, that's the, you know, the sad thing that's coming to the public's uh, knowledge right now. So 
what do you th- what bearing do you think this has on the overall picture as far as the information learning that they had spies inside the Trump campaign? We see the media playing it off as well. We were doing this to protect President Trump so that he didn't make any mistakes. We hear other people make excuses saying, "Well, you know, he he was uh, he, he wasn't involved in anything any high level talks. He didn't have access to the president like people think, so it's really no big deal." Each time we learn more and more about what really happened. It seems people like Clapper, Brennan, Comey have all been caught lying with their pants down to the American public and to Congress in many cases. Yet each day that goes by, we learn more and more information about their conspiracies and about their lies. Do you think that this latest leak of it, or this latest information about the uh, spies in the campaigns is going to add anything to President Trump's case about a conspiracy against them? And if so, where do you see, how do you see this playing out here in the near future? Well, I, I see absolutely, Joe. I think you're 100% correct. I see that this playing directly into uh, President Trump's hand. This is uh, what a lot of people are, are, are viewing as the uh, the counteroffensive. And and if you remember back to candidate Trump, one of the things he said, if you hit me, I hit you back 10 times harder. And I think this is just the, the, the beginning of the pain that the uh, that the people that have tried to take him out with this uh, this operational plan. I mean, you know, we're, we're dealing with the top-level CIA the top level of uh, counterintelligence, you know, we talked about that last show. I mean, these are Jason Bourne, these are uh, Mitch Rapp type of individuals that are all being tasked to do these things. And with elaborate spies and plants and, and dossiers, I mean, it's uh, it, it was a, a big operation to go against uh, one person, one campaign. All right. Uh, before we go any further, uh, our guest is Captain Roy D., a poster on Reddit. If you don't mind, because some people are just catching up right now, tell people where they can find your work, the comments associated with your work and your posts. It's reddit.com. Your your username is um, Captain Roy D. But beyond that, how can people well, find yeah, you? Just it, it, there'll be some links in the uh, the program review. I think Eric's going to write that in. But uh, they just can Google up Reddit, or if they're on Reddit, just put in that to search, and it comes right up. And uh, the main homepage would contain all the stories, and I think I've got populated probably about 150 uh, uh, corruption-related stories. In fact, the one on top that went kind of uh, a little viral today for our Great Awakening community was uh, about uh, mutual friend Cheryl Atkinson, and uh, yes. it was kind of, and it was kind of an older story that I had about all of the problems that Cheryl had when she was reporter at NBC, and uh, you know DOJ absolutely had an intrusion on her computer. And uh, she was spied upon. Again, people find that hard to believe that that was possible by our government onto a reporter. But uh, future proves past that it, it, it happened. She has a huge uh, multimillion-dollar lawsuit pending. Uh, but she's recently, and Sean Hannity mentioned that uh, his program last night in his radio show today, is that uh, to, for people to check out this great article that she just published, at shorewatkinson.com uh, about the timeline of the corruption uh, of the campaign against uh, President Trump. And uh, it shows how far back it goes. I think that's the eye-opening thing. A lot of people are focused in on just around election time. But this, the, these plans and this, uh, all these operations were hatched uh, months ago, if not years, in operational planning. Yeah, they were. And, you know, this proves and shows how far, how vast this conspiracy is from FBI agents, the DOJ, to other uh, law enforcement agencies inside our intelligence agencies, you know, the uh, uh, DNI and whatnot. You have the Clappers, the Brennans, uh, all these people, the unmaskings from the, even the UN ambassador. And here we are 
we've only seen Comey get fired. We've seen uh, McCabe get fired. Lisa Page has resigned. But you still have a majority of these people. Uh, from what I understand, Brennan, Clapper, Peter Strauch all still have their security clearances with them. Uh, they they have not been punished. They have not, for anything, for lying, for, for uh, trying to set up the president. And hopefully that will all come out. But do you have faith that this is moving in a direction where we are going to see criminal charges against these people who perpetrated this conspiracy? Yes, I do, Joe. I, I have faith, and I think it's just a matter of time. Uh, and I think it's a, a question of building elaborate case against uh, some high-profile people, and it's, it's just not one or two people. This is a vast conspiracy. They're talking RICO level as far as all the different branches. I mean, we just talked uh, briefly about the, uh, the some of the phases in, in the, that the Operation Trump or the Operation Crossfire Hurricane and all the people associated with that. It's uh, it's it's. Uh, uh, and again, it's like everything else. If you're touched in, in one part of the crime, you're connected to the whole crime. Uh, Roy, I want to ask you this. The media has been completely ignoring the uh, gravity of the story, and they've been selectively uh, deciding what to put in there, cherry-picking what, what they want to put in there, what they want the people to hear. Do you believe that the uh, – how is the Ameri- average American – going to get this information if the mainstream media refuses to put this out? How are they going to be able to understand what exactly took place? And not so what the media is saying is that, well, this is just President Trump going after his political opponents. What can well, be done? The, well, one of the ways is, is what we're doing over at the uh, uh, at the Great Awakening site at, the, at, at Reddit is that we're posting this information. I mean, you're, you're, we heard, I heard personally uh, the morning that, uh, that Doug was talking about his, his views on Halper. And uh, it is an anecdotal story that that morning when he was going through it, he didn't really say Helper's name till later in the show. And I had just done a report about a fellow George Nader that I, I, I've written up, and I'll stand by that he was a plant. I, I won't go as far as a spy, but when uh, Doug was talking about it, I, I was really getting excited thinking that I kind of previewed who he was going to call as a spy. But when he said uh, it was uh, Stefan Helper, uh, who, who's also noted, you know, if, you, if you're, you're working around this thing, it was not an unknown name and uh, that has been brought up in the past. But uh, uh, certainly uh, Doug put the pieces together first. But uh, I, I put that right out. It went kind of viral over at our site. And, again, this it took 11 days, but it's in the Main Street News. So that's one of the ways we're pushing. We're pushing to uh, to get this information out. And that uh, I hope that answers your question. That's one of the mm-hmm. ways, if you can see it, that we're driving it from our site over. Yeah, I, I like that characterization. Driving it uh, exactly. All right. So, so, so here we. I think I think the big story, and, and I'll be able to form words here after some practice. But I, I really think the big big story, of course, when you look at this from a cruising altitude, is the fact that this has been going on since you know really Donald Trump announced this, this that he was running this um, this attack against him. Um. And of course, we spoke the last time. You know, they didn't think that Hillary was going to lose. She lost a rigged election, which is almost laughable if it wasn't so tragically sad. Um, this is bigger than anything, anything that I can, I can even, I, I, it, I in fact, I think it's going to get bigger. I, now, yeah. all, I said all of that. What about the report from the Office of the Inspector General? How do you feel about this based on your research and investigation that that's forthcoming? 
I think it's going to be devastating, and I think a lot of people, I, I really don't feel that we're going to be even be talking about a special prosecutor. I think uh, with what Horowitz and, and, and Hoover's going to put together, it'll be like a hammer and an anvil, and I think it's coming. And, and uh, like people know, this is just the first part. What's coming out is just the background information as far as the Hillary uh, email investigation, the, uh, the follow-up as far as the FISA and the, uh, the abuses within the Department of Justice. And now, as of recently, I mean, this was just added uh, uh, officially today, they've taken on, uh, Horowitz has taken on uh, a third phase, which is now to, to root out the spies and the, uh, the paid plants that were in the, uh, the campaign, uh, which is obviously illegal and uh, needs, needs looked at. I saw a report earlier today on the Liberty Daily about Rod Rosenstein and it had to do with the IG not having the power of subpoena with the possibility of opening up a, a second investigation. And what it said was that uh, Rod Rosen, by Rod Rosenstein uh, signaling to the IG to open an investigation, I believe it was into the, the FBI, that he could not, he did not have the power of subpoena and he could not interview anybody who was outside or had left the DOJ or FBI. Um, my, my theory on this, Joe, is that, that uh, this will be decided. Either Hoover will be able to come through with what the report says and be able to prosecute and bring everything together, and I think that's the plan A, or that's what people are optimistic about. And plan B is Sessions still has the option to bring in a special prosecutor. I mean, that's not off the table. And, in fact, I think they're probably going this way to see uh, if there's any reluctance or if it doesn't look right to the American people. We'll know right away uh, about uh the actions of Sessions, Hoover, Horowitz, this is all going to become real clear, and it would be crystal clear which way everybody's going. And uh, if they're not going the way that uh, President Trump and the American people want, there'll be a change, and the special prosecutor can be brought right in. A guy like Andy McCarthy, everybody would agree with. Okay. Uh, yeah, exactly. Now, at some point during our time together, and I don't know if you want to do this now, um, you had written a very interesting piece about a plane crash uh, at Reddit, uh, uh, recalling an interesting plane crash that changed the course of politics. I'd like to get 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 some just some verbal analysis from you uh, on that. I, whether you want to do that now or closer. Oh, to oh, I'd be happy to. And it, it, again, it was almost kind of like, and we don't have many of these, which is a slow news day. But uh, I did the same thing one time with if you remember back with Lori Colotis. Um, yep. it, it was just time for something that wasn't on the mainstream burner, and uh, I think it goes back to uh, having relived it, being from Pennsylvania and growing up in the area. I was familiar with Hines, familiar with the campaigns. Actually, I did some some work and some uh, campaign stuff for Rick Santorum when he was uh, in a congressional level and running for Senate. Um, but the uh, it was a tragic event, just like a lot of people can relate to the JFK. What could have been with Hines? Hines was somebody like Donald Trump. It couldn't be bought. He was obviously a lot younger, uh, impeccable credentials, uh, honest, and uh, it would have been somebody that could have taken the helms of the Republican Party down the road quite easily, and I think a lot of people thought of him as presidential material. And uh, his uh, plane, he was flying from Pittsburgh to Philadelphia. It was a, it was a twin piper, and uh, the, the pilot on uh, Senator Hines' plane uh, was reporting that the landing gear, even though they thought it was down, the light showed it wasn't down all the way, and they actually buzzed the airport, and the tower was trying to look, 
and uh, a nearby uh, traffic uh, helicopter, local news helicopter, said they would come to assist, uh, just like we do here on the boats a lot, is that you're kind of required to help if somebody's having an emergency. And uh, they collided, the uh, the Bell helicopter and the uh, plane collided, and uh, unfortunately everybody was killed in those two uh, uh, two vehicles, but it rained down on a schoolyard, and uh, a child was hurt, a lot of people injured. Yeah, that, 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 was, that was on April 4th, 1991, just so people, if people are trying to remember when that was, April 4th, 1991. Pre-Clinton, pre-Bill. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But, but boy, did that change, and I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just want to make sure people, people knew that, you know, if, if boy, that, that, that right. pre-Bill Clinton, um, but impacting nonetheless the presidential complexion. No, but the A1s, you mentioned something about the A1s, Doug. Yes. Uh, the, 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 my own belief right now, and, and we talked about this a little bit last, uh, last time, was that this is almost like Julian Assange, which everybody would agree with what the information he had, he did it masterfully. He dripped out the information, he had special information, he dripped it out, timed it from the least important to all the way the most important and coming out right by election day, and by that point, if you remember, Donna Brazil was in the beginning trying to deny it with Megyn Kelly. I mean, it, you know, not quickly after that, everybody accepted each one of the WikiLeaks drops as gospel truth. That went right away. And so I think we're finding the same type of thing that a lot of this, uh, Luke Rosiak, I believe, is now reporting the sixth delay as far as the start of the A1s. I think this is all coming together, that there's actually some timing and some coordination going on with the release of the Hoover report. Don't forget we still have the Homeland Security. That was issued early on. Uh, Vice President Pence headed that initially, and that was handed off to Homeland Security over voter fraud. That's still coming. And the first thing that the Attorney General Sessions did was the 27 leak investigations. That's still coming, and the unmasking related to that. So uh, there's a lot of irons in the fire, and I think what they're trying to do, Doug, is set this all up closer to the midterms so that they will be uh, what was forecasted as a blue wave that, in fact, will be a red wave. With the uh, with the A1 information alone, maybe 50 current house people, if what's in there is, is you know, what everybody believes to be as damaging as it is, uh, would almost have to instantly resign. So you can imagine the, uh, the primaries are over, ballots are done, and all these people have to resign. You know, the one criminal cabal in the uh, congr- in the in Congress, to me, this is the most underreported story, even more underreported than the, the the spy story. The Awan brothers and their family members, their friends. The level of corruption, the, the transfer of data. Um, but by the way, in your research, how does this, if at all, overlap into the Seth Rich homicide, the un, still yet unsolved Seth Rich homicide? Well, I, I believe it does, uh, only for the key fact that Debbie Wasserman Schultz is the, the, the keystone element between both uh, uh, the A1 affair as well as Seth Rich. Both are involving laptops that are currently in the uh, government's possession. Both uh, uh, believe that the laptops will reveal a lot of pertinent information. And uh, there was some talk. I really don't buy into the night that uh, Seth was killed, that he was out partying with a wand. But there's, there's, I think, little doubt that they knew each other. They were both IT people. Uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, but a lot of people don't realize that she had the Iwan people doing uh, dirty tricks during the campaign to help out Hillary against uh, Bernie. 
they were, the ones themselves were doing a lot of those, uh, I forget what they call them, but the bad calls, the phony calls, uh, uh, they, they were doing a lot of the, the trick mailings, they, they, they were doing a lot of the uh, computer interruptions uh, at Debbie's hand during the campaign, during the primary. And so Seth is, is embedded there in the DNC, so th- th- there's a relationship. Uh, I, I don't want to go too far on that because, as you know, every time something touches Seth wrist, there is a... <laughs> Yeah, and interestingly, into the Awan case, uh, the Daily Caller had this yesterday. Witness said Awan wiretapped her, then bank account she controlled was drained, and this goes on to to detail five grand. Yeah, but there's a 140 page deposition that is uh, attached to this, and you can read the whole deposition if you want. But these activities were going on as late as October of 2017, uh, which is very interesting. But you know, there's all these plates up in the air. You have the Awan brothers. You have the uh, FBI's handling of the Hillary Clinton email investigation. You have the criminal conspiracy into Donald Trump. You have uh, just all this stuff. And How about Uranium One? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Uranium One, the Clinton Foundation, the Haiti Earthquake Fund, and on and on and on. The child sex trafficking. Endless. It is endless. And it just I just can't... I don't know. I don't see how... I have hope. I have hope that this will all be uh, wrapped up. This will all come out. This will be exposed, and the people that are responsible will be shown for what they are. At the same time, it just I just well, don't Captain see Roy it. D is is in the process. I mean, he's doing it every single day. And and I want to thank you on behalf of everyone, our audience, our listeners. I want to thank you and, and your fellow patriots there, doing what you do and doing it very well. Putting, Thank you, Doug. You know, I appreciate that. It's uh, <laughs> we do this all on a voluntary basis, and uh, uh, it, it's from a good pool of people. It's it's from a good pool of people. Yeah, indeed, Joe. I, I cut you off. I didn't mean to. No, uh, we we can change topics here. I want to talk about uh, Trump's agenda. So much has been lost in the uh, you know the, the criminal conspiracies and the impeachment talks and. The 2018 midterm elections are coming up, and we've seen new polling numbers that show Republicans have a six-point majority over Democrats. Now, I don't know uh, about you, Captain Roy, but I don't trust polls at all, so I don't put much stock into these numbers. But do you think that uh, we are going to – how do you think the midterms are going to play out if they were to happen today? I think – well, it's it's the, the timing is that it's not going to happen today, and that the people that are in charge know when it is, and they're going to be releasing the information that's uh, going to be best to serve their cause. Uh, this, this time around, this is uh, going to be all this information we've been talking about. I think we're going to know way before Election Day. I think uh, uh, Election Day is going to be the, the red wave as opposed to blue wave, and I think uh, everybody's shooting for that November 11th for the uh, uh, the parade, the military parade in, uh, in Washington, D.C. I think that's going to be the turn, and uh, we'll know everything by that point, Joe. I think it's we don't have long to know, long to go, I should say, before everything is... Uh, uh, revealed as far as the, uh, uh, the the persecutions with all this corruption and as far as the new direction. Now, I, I, by the way, I love your answer. Truth is, elections not going to happen today. So I, yeah. I mean, you know, so uh, and, and you're right. I think the timing does have everything to do with it. Now, y- yesterday we had uh, Diana West on with us, and, and what, what a tremendous author of American Betrayal, um, talking about Nellie Orr among other things. What what are your thoughts on on this? The oars, you know, both oars well, in the water. <laughs> it's it's funny you mention that too, because I, I continuing with what Diane, she had such a great interview last night. She's so educational, 
and uh, you, you mentioned a little bit today about the Oars, but the one thing a lot of people are forgetting, you, you can look at Bruce and Nellie Orr and, and, and look at them as being co-conspirators and what Nellie did as far as with Fusion and what Bruce did with the DOJ. But th- this is one of a dozen married couples that are neck deep in this Obamagate conspiracy. This is, this is one of the stories I find just so amazing. It's just not the Oars. It's, uh, it's uh, Mr. and Mrs. McKay. It's Mr. and Mrs. Strazik. It's uh, Dunn & Byer. In fact, you, you saw that Robert Byer just uh, resigned uh, after 30 years at Perkins Coie. Yeah. Um, you got Murray King. You've got, uh, you know, not only the principals, Bill and Hillary. You've got Huma and, and Wiener. I mean, these are all, it's just not like one person in your family that's going to go off and commit this huge crime. I mean, we're talking about treater, besides losing your job, losing your liberty, uh, some of this that may come out, uh, especially in some of those redacted Texas and so forth, that may even get the, the, the trees in level with these people. So you're, you're committing just not yourself, but your whole family. If these people have kids, uh, it's mind-boggling that they were able to recruit married couples into this scheme. This is what I find hard to believe. And the more you dig, I mean, you don't have far to go as far as you, we've already talked about the oars. Uh, most, of the, most of your audience uh, 100% knows all about the McCabe's where sure. uh, Jill was running and all that. And they know about this, what Strozik. I, I recently had another piece reminding people about uh, uh, Peter Strozik, your, your super agent, his wife, uh, Melissa Hogman, that was the SEC uh, employee that all of a sudden got a oh, yeah. three pay raise. I mean, just not a one pay raise. And this is a, the Securities Exchange Commission is, is government controlled. I mean, it's not like directly working for the White House, but it's a governmental agency. She got three level increase. And uh, uh, just like that in the fall of 2016, right the, in the sweet spot of all this going on. That's You're exactly right. And that, that's why... Roy, and that's why I love your work. I mean, you're able to connect dots, um, research, connect dots, lay them all out, and, and you're exactly right. And, and speaking of that, you know, um, eight years of Barack Hussein Obama, unvetted, eight years of Hillary Clinton, the 16-year plan to destroy America, I, I don't know how many people have seen the uh, memes out there or the, the, the images, the, the layout for the 16-year plan. What do you think about that, about what they had in store for us that Donald Trump interrupted the 16-year plan? Well, we were just talking about Plan B earlier tonight. The Plan B was the uh, was the crossfire hurricane, of the, the dossiers and all that. That was Plan B because Plan A was originally the 16-year plan. That uh, Diana West has, has mentioned that a lot of people, uh, the Sundance, a lot of people have tied this in, is that there was a concerted effort to get two back to back, back to back, two 18, uh, 16 year uh, total in a row under one party, one rule, one philosophy, and this was all going to be the progressive left. That we were going to have the first eight years of uh, uh, of Obama. And I, I, I tell you, my own personal opinion, Doug and Joe, is that when this was originally hatched, I really thought that they thought Hillary was going to be the, on the first leg of this. It was going to be Hillary for eight and then bring Obama in for eight. But uh, as it turned out, uh, uh, Obama got the got the ticket first. And, uh, of course, he kept Hillary in the loop because she was going to continue on with his legacy. It, was all, it wasn't even kept secret. The third term, this was going to be a continuation. And if we look back, it was almost strategically cut as far as their duties, because uh, Obama had some primary goals besides disrupting the economy and the health care. Uh, 
uh, he gutted the military. He he gutted the the, the people like General Flynn. Uh, it was just one of hundreds of, of top generals that were rooted out by Obama and Valerie Jarrett. They were all dismissed, and uh, they they just kept this uh, small, uh, reduced military force. And it was all the people that the that they liked, and uh, probably we wouldn't have liked, but. Uh, they, they, they eliminate a lot of people forget that uh, he pretty, Obama pretty much eliminated NASA. We gave up space, and it's just not going to the moon and collecting rocks. Space was a, uh, and still is, a very strategic uh, uh, part of our defense system, and uh, how we won the Cold War was really with Star Wars. Uh, back. Roy, I want to ask you about this, because uh, you mentioned the earlier the, uh, the the parade, and I know the president has done a lot with military spending. Uh, have they nailed down? Are they going to do a parade on July 4th or Labor no, Day? No. no, it's actually the, the big D.C. military parade, like, yeah. you know, post-World War II, we haven't seen for a long time. Yeah. Certainly they didn't have it in the Vietnam days. Uh, is going to be with the tanks and the units rolling right down Pennsylvania Avenue on November 11th, mark your calendars. Oh, so on Veterans Day, okay. Absolutely. Uh, do you think that the president has done a good job with the uh, Veterans Affairs Office? We know that it was plagued with problems under the Obama administration and before, especially the conditions of, of certain hospitals and whatnot. Do you think he's given that uh, appropriate attention, or is that something that is still on his agenda? How do you think he's been faring so far with veterans? Well, I, I, they had a good start when they finally put his picture up in all the locations. I thought that was a good start. They finally got that going, but... Uh, uh, all things considered, with North Korea and Iran and the plot against him, I, I, I have to say that he's 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 trying, and that's that's uh, that's getting attention. But uh, there, there's so much. I mean, you have to just praise the what Donald Trump has done, President Trump has done, because there's been so much on his plate, so much uh, needs correcting and attention, and that certainly is uh, is an upper thing. And I, I believe that's that's moving in the right direction, anyway, from what I hear. Anywhere in. Uh that you'd like to see President Trump act more, where we have not seen him acting, whether it's you know through immigration and building the wall or in the economy. Where where is he? Uh, where where should some more of his focus go? Um, protecting himself at this point, <laughs> I, I'd say right now, just trying to get through this this uh, coup. I mean, now it's finally out. I mean, there was a planned coup against a candidate, uh, uh, president-elect, and uh, really carrying through to President Trump. Uh, and thank goodness, on a side note, we, we discussed this briefly, I think, last time, was about the additional security that uh, that he's always had uh, from the campaign days, the transition days, and so forth, an augmented force in addition to Secret Service that's always there with the president. All right. We're working on getting, by the way, just uh, as an aside, we're working on getting the image up of the 16-year plan because I, I think many people have seen it, but quite a few people uh, just I got a couple of emails here. What's that? Yeah, so we're working on getting the image up. On, on that. There it is, right there. Uh, we never, never quite finished it, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they were they were going to do. Uh, they kind of divided their duties, what they were going to do, and it was going to bring about a transformation uh, of our country. It was going to be way as far as you talk about the progressive communist uh, agenda that, that we'd probably look back and hearken to those being the good days. Uh, it was going to be a total transformation. Uh, Hillary was going to get in her part. We started with Obama. Her part was going to be to uh, uh, totally fix the courts. So we, we, she'd get four or five Supreme Court appointments and, and on down the line. That would be it. Uh, they, they would probably open the borders. Uh, this would be a northern hemisphere like the European Union. 
there, there was a lot that they had on their plans, and it really wasn't good for the uh, what people remember as America being uh, the, the the great country, the, the what the patriots and what uh, the vision Trump has put out for us that most people agree with. Exactly. I think if he the wall would be a good. I think we need that physical barrier. If, uh, if nothing else, that's something everybody can point to. And I think once that wall, we start getting miles and miles on that wall. I think a lot of people are going to be relieved. Uh, that's that's one thing that needs to be done. Yeah, I I totally agree. And, and we're, we've got about I don't know six minutes of our time together. It always goes so fast when when, when you're on. You're, you're such a gracious uh, guest and knowledgeable. Um. Lightning round. Jeff Sessions, Rod Rosenstein. Uh, I heard uh, today Donald Trump talking about Rosenstein's. He was asked, "Do you have, do you have uh, faith?" I, in, I, you know. Yeah, I, I, Rosenstein. I, I don't have much faith in Rosenstein. I've said all along. I think Sessions is 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 going to come out to be a mastermind in this. Uh, I have total confidence in, in Sessions as I do with the. Uh, uh, with uh, Horowitz and uh, the special prosecutor Uber, and I think uh, I think justice is finally coming. Okay, all right, fair, fair enough, and that's good to hear. So, in, in the in the remaining moments, in the remaining what five six minutes left, or no three minutes left, we've got. I'm just give the floor to you. What do you see on the horizon? What should we be looking for based on your investigation and research? And anything else you want to toss in there? Well, I'll, I'll throw this out, and again, I only because I've already shot 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 it once. Uh, I don't think it's it's spy number two. I'll go with spy number three because I think spy number two. I've kind of heard some names floating around, but uh, I, I really would like uh, to, to throw George Nader's uh, name back in the. I, the hat. I I'm right there with you. I okay. think you're you're spot on. That it, it, initially you were spot I, on. I, because a lot of people don't realize that the, he he had a meeting directly with uh, Donald Trump Jr. and it, actually his was almost this is another phase because this was all in transition. His setups were kind of after uh, Halper and everybody else has failed. I mean, if you look at these guys' plots, it's one, two, three. They, they they've had this thought out, and so he came in during transition period and he dirtied up or was trying to dirty up with the meeting in Trump Tire with Do- uh, Donald Trump Jr. Uh, Jared Kushner was there. Uh, I know, but the, the the main I'm not sure who else on Trump's team, but the main guy was uh, uh, the Nader brought along was the Crown Prince uh, Ben Zayed, uh, who of uh, UAE, which has been his kind of uh, donor and patron over the, over the years. But uh, the meeting that followed that that was in November. The meeting that I think is real critical and really brought him out as a spy was the one he set up with Eric Prince. This was in the Seychelles. That's right off the eastern. Uh, African coast, and uh, Prince flew over. Uh, again, Nader set up the meeting. He was there with the Prince, but they brought in some Russian people, and again, it was trying to set up, not so much as far as dirt. I mean, we're way beyond all this campaign stuff. They were trying to set up a back channel. They were trying to get Prince to commit, because I think they had heard about his security efforts and what he was doing kind of to help the protection of uh, uh, candidate then transition, uh, President-elect Trump. Um, they were trying to get him involved, and I, I I think that that's exactly uh, spy number three. Okay, George Nader, right? Absolutely. Okay, yeah, and, and yeah, that's um, and, and folks, Reddit user is Captain Roy D. Uh, I believe, right? That's yeah. I, I, I've got I've got a bookmark, so uh, yeah. So fantastic work, <laughs> by by the way. Any venue, but uh, they can just uh, go to Reddit and search it out. Just put in my name, or, or the, I think John's going to have a link to the, uh, the yeah. show there. Yeah, in, indeed. 
And they're all free, and, and welcome to people to read and pass it along. A, a lady had said that she printed them all out, and she goes over with her family every night after dinner, one or two stories. It warmed my heart. I'll tell you, you your your work is, is right up there with, with I, I would match your work with uh, uh, any professional investigative work out there. So really appreciate what you do and the people who are involved in your community. Getting the, the word out there, thank you so very much, because we're in this together. Um, Absolutely. Now, can we go boating together if I, if I drive my 42-foot uh, uh, cabin cruiser down there? Would you? <laughs> Absolutely, anytime. <laughs> can I borrow a 42-foot cabin cruiser? No, All right. Captain Roy, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you, guys. God bless. Have a All good right. evening. Now, that was Captain Roy D. Uh, from Reddit. And it's amazing how much of the, the this information is coming from the ground, the ground troops. We're getting intelligence from the ground troops. Like... Uh, a phenomenal Captain Roy Deacon. Right back, Josh Tolley's up next. Network break. Stay with us. Oh, 30 more seconds. 30 I'm told. more seconds. How about this for a Let's headline? Let's tap dance. How about this for a headline? Uh, CNN's ratings fall below Kids Network Nickelodeon. Uh, this is a, a great piece that is up on Liberty Daily or on the Western Journal if you want to go right to the source, which details how CNN has fallen behind Nickelodeon and Home and Garden Television just a few slots above the History Channel in the latest, <laughs> latest cable ratings, uh, network ratings. Fox News Channel hey, topped the list with beating most watched. CNN. CNN is the lowest rated Honestly, cable show on cable TV. So there's yeah. that. We'll be right back with Josh Tully. edition of the Hagman Report. We're going to have Josh Tolley joining us in just a few moments. He's an author and a uh, top-notch radio show host and has been a friend of the show for such a long time. And uh, he's going to be joining us to talk about a number of things, including his new book, Why They Don't Believe, The Real Reasons People Don't Believe in God and What We Can Do About It. But before we get to, to Josh, I want to focus your attention on Hagman Report, the Red Pill Expo, redpillexpo.org, coming up in Spokane, Washington the 21st through the 23rd of June. Go to HagmanReport.com. On top of the site, there's a banner. You can click on that banner. If you're going to buy tickets for the Red Pill Expo, use promo code HAGMAN and receive 15% off. Also, till the end of this month, you can get a copy of last year's Red Pill Expo with the purchase of a ticket. And you can that is uh, 10, I believe, 10 DVDs or 10 hours of, of speaking, 14 different speakers. It's over $100 value free with your purchase of your tickets for this year's Red Pill Expo. Again, in Spokane, Washington, June 21st through the 23rd, promo code HAGMAN for 15% off your tickets. A great lineup of speakers that are going to be there. And, and you know, while you're talking about different things, I remember last Friday, if you didn't get a chance to listen to Brad Hopp and Andrew, of course, Andrew, name given to our guest working undercover in a communist Asian communist country, about uh, Teshua tea company. Here's the tea. It's not about the tea. It's about what they're doing. They're saving young girls. Uh, they're extricating young girls out of prostitution, out of human sex trafficking. And by the way, my uh, my offer still stands. I have not heard back from Kyle, who likes to monitor the right-wing websites and, and shows like ours 
very good at uh, assailing our motives and our our uh, content. So, Kyle from Right Wing Watch, if you have it in you or choose to, if you donate up to or including a thousand dollars to this to to this tecum to this purpose, okay, donate your money. My wife and I, out of our money, will match that donation. All right, and, and I'm just I'm just saying. It, it, that's over and above what, what the Hagman Report and what we do. Um, go back and listen to last Friday's segment with with uh, Brad Hop and Andrew. This is it was an incredible story. Teshuat.com. That's Teshua, T E S H U A H T T E A dot com. And oops, I dropped the T. And uh, but by the way. Um, yeah, and uh, Kyle. So uh, it, it's a it's a friendly uh, offer. I will match your donation again because people on the people from Right Wing Watch they like to monitor our show, Dave Dobbemeyer's show. People who are actually doing things. So if you care, uh, and again, this is this is I'm, I'm offering this in a friendly manner. Um, yeah help out the victims of sex trafficking and that's just something I wanted to say but uh, at any rate uh, marvelous, marvelous people risking their lives doing what they're doing to save the young girls from human sex trafficking and it's a dangerous job in fact we we heard from them this weekend and uh, some operational security concerns because of Andrew's appearance so you know it's just it's Wow, you just never, never can tell. So there are a lot of good people doing a lot of good things in today's evil environment, so never forget that. And speaking of good people doing good things, we've got Josh Tolley with us, always a always a crowd pleaser. I remember sitting, Joe, remember we, we were at a conference, mm-hmm. and we, we, there was a panel discussion. I remember sitting next to Josh Tolley on this panel discussion, and there was a question asked. I don't recall what the question was, but he became so passionate, and this guy's arms are like, you know, he lifts, I mean, he probably benches, you know, small trailers. Um, I'm not sure, but, but, uh, I don't know what, it's like Popeye sitting next, but, but anyway, with, with, with the intelligence of, you know, of Einstein, but in my view, but, uh, he got so passionate. I, I didn't want to get smacked accidentally by the, by him. I mean, he would crush me, but he is a very intelligent man. Josh Tolley is a good friend of the program, good friend of ours. Josh, welcome to the program, sir. Oh, Doug and Joe, always great to be with you. And that was that was an awesome introduction. I don't know if I can live up to that hype, but I appreciate it nonetheless. Thank you so much for uh, having me on tonight, guys. Well, well, thanks for taking your time out and coming on. We know you're a busy guy. You've got your own show. Uh, let's start out by telling people about your broadcast. Where can people find you? Let's just reintroduce sure. yourself to our audience, if you don't mind. So I, I never wanted to compete with a Hagman, so I'm on in the morning. So that way we don't have to compete. Uh, 9 to 11 Central Time, 10 to 12 East Coast Time, Monday through Friday. Stations all over the place. Uh, X, well, no, I'm not on XM yet. Uh, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, uh, well, just Google it. You'll be able to find it. It's, it's, yeah, all okay. those things. All right. And, and of course, you're a, you're an author. Yes. Uh, and your book, name your book. Evangelpreneur is uh, by far the book that I would recommend everybody start with, but I got a couple other ones out there. Um, okay. 
I predict quit your job or die, and then then we have another uh, round of books coming out soon. All right, sounds good. All right, let's let's take it from there. Now, the folks uh, you've heard Josh Hulley, uh, I hopefully you've heard him on our program, as well as his own program. But uh, um, jo- Joe, let's uh, I'm going to toss it to you. Let's let's bring it forward here. Well, Josh, let's start with uh, what we, you know, the the biggest story of the year, the biggest political scandal in American history. So much has developed into this conspiracy against Donald Trump since the last time we spoke. And I want to get your thoughts on on where you see this today. You know, we've learned about the confidential informants or moles inside the the Trump campaign. We know Comey is lying. And and so much uh, of what we've seen from the intelligence community has all been focused around trying to, uh, I, I would say, entrap and or set up President Trump uh, to to be impeached, which has failed miserably. This Robert Mueller investigation went from collu- Russian collusion to obstruction of justice to Stormy Daniels to who knows where it is now. And now we have all these, uh, as again, you know, from Clapper to Comey uh, and so many more that have been found lying in this criminal conspiracy against President Trump. Where do you see this thing going in the next months? And, and do you think that uh, we are going to see arrests based on what they did to the president? You know, it's interesting that we, we start with this, because we talked about this last time we were on your show, and we were talking about how this is going to get much worse before it gets better. You know, this is really a civil, civil war, what we're seeing being played out. You have two contingents here just duking it out in court. And for every indictment on one, one side, well, all of a sudden we're investigating somebody else over here. And, well, you leaked something, well, so did your guy. And even even Scooter Libby, you know, well, well we're going to let Scooter out. Uh, just because you're you're threatening to put somebody in. So what we're really watching is an episode of, of 24 or House of Cards or whatever really played out, and I don't think people grasp the magnitude of the corruption and the depth of the swamp, and not everything on both sides has been great either. I mean, it's, it's, it's not like both of these sides are, are clean as whistles, but there's there's definitely going to be a lot more before this is all cleaned up, if it ever cleaned up. But I think for us, the takeaway is really look at what D.C. is. It's not new. This is a, a system that's been in place for a long, long time. So all that trust and belief and America, apple pies and baseball that we thought we had, the reality check is whether they indict him or they impeach Trump, whatever happens, the reality is we're seeing that it's not Smith goes to Washington after all. It is it is much more sinister once you pull back that curtain. Absolutely it is. And it, it with each revelation about uh you know this conspiracy, it gets deeper and deeper into mm-hmm. uh you know more and in, more intelligence agencies, more personnel being involved. And I just don't see how the we can rely on the, the deep state, the swamp, to investigate and hold themselves accountable. We don't see any action from from really lawmakers, only a, a small handful, and there doesn't seem to be any urgency in the media. If anything, they're covering it up. So I guess my question right. is, how does how, how does the American people uh, even get or understand what's really going on and, and call for justice when they're not even being told the truth and, and unfortunately don't look for it themselves? Well, we we have to realize that there's really not a whole lot we can do. I mean, we're seeing these two sides duke it out. Obviously, people are going to pick the side that they're rooting for, but most of us do not have stars on our shoulders or wear black robes to work or get sworn into office. So most of us don't really have an actionable play. 
Sure, we can vote for people and we can call and support people and all that sort of stuff, and that's good and awesome, great, rock on. But at the end of the day, it's really these two sides that are just going to keep slugging it out. And what we're witnessing is really a distraction from what the American people need, regardless of which side wins on this thing. Look at how much time, money, and effort is devoted by each side to fight something that shouldn't even be fought in the first place. If we're really going to lock some people up, well, Mueller's not all that innocent because we know that he had ties to Russia. Comey should be in, have been in jail already. Loretta Lynch, Eric Holder, well, you know, you're going upstate too. I mean, Hillary Clinton, why is this woman still out? I mean, <laughs> this is somebody who the FBI admitted committed felonies. We just don't recommend prosecution. What? If I accidentally shot my neighbor while cleaning my gun, I go to jail. It's still a, a, a crime. So whether she did it accidentally or not is 100% irrelevant. So you have the FBI that admitted that the former Secretary of State's a felon, still won't do anything. So we have to, at the end of the day, say, okay, well, since we don't really get to direct any action that's going on, we can root for a team, but let's not get so distracted from it that our lives fall apart. I know people who are completely oblivious to what's going on around them, because the Trump administration, for better or worse, is a constant attention grab, 24-7. Every time he tweets, every time, you know, CNBC puts something up, every, no matter what happens, it's just an uh, attention grab, and it's distracting us so much. Yeah, it, it is, and uh, again, the media is doing their, their best job to cover it up, even now saying that the implanting of a mole in the Trump campaign was not only to do it for... Uh, you know his benefit, uh, but to protect him, and also saying, uh, you know that you know he needs to be prosecuted. This shows even more so that he needs to be be prosecuted and yeah. and impeached. And it really it is uh, two things, two sides that are really out of our control, except for being able to to put put the information that's important out there, Josh, so that other people can make an informed decision about it. Do you think well, this you, is leading to a civil war? Yeah, go ahead. With that. Well, no. Here, here's here's the reason why America has become so feminine and docile. It, it it's kind of like it's kind of like when people say, "Well, they're never gonna see me naked at the airport. I won't do it." Yeah, those protests lasted about an hour and a half. Now everybody goes to the TSA. Well, they're not gonna prevent me from taking my gun to show and tell. There is not a gun rights organization on the planet that still supports that. Well, they're not going to tell me that I can't use that bathroom. Well, that didn't work either, did it? We now have a U.S. aircraft carrier that has no urinals on it. So this whole idea that, well, at some point, American people are going to stand up and do something. No, they won't. They won't. I mean, you have 3 million people a year leaving faith. You have 70% of churches not willing to talk about political, social issues. You have the people working themselves to death, so by the time they actually do get the time to pay attention, it's usually too late. They're catching up as opposed to being proactive. As, as, as much as I would love to hope that people would rise up, I don't think they will. And the reason why is because the people that we do see rising up are the people that people like George Soros are paying for. Antifa and these radical wacko feminists and, and crazy socialist organizations. Guys, do you realize that five socialists have won so far this year? Five. Yeah. Bernie Sanders was called an anomaly. They were like, oh, well, that's just weird. Really? An admitted Democrat socialist who's running for office? 
Well, that's never going to happen again. It took less than a year before that happened again, and now five of them have won. So this idea that there's a silent majority, either either they have to stop being silent or realize, mm, maybe we're no longer the majority. All right. Well, well, all right. Now apply that logic, though, to um, the criminalization of owning, we'll say, an AR-15, or what the left likes to call assault weapons. Uh, sure. The, uh, do you think in that environment, using that as per- perhaps a, a, tr- a trigger point, no pun intended, that that we would see a pushback, a violent pushback, that no. would rise to the level of a civil war, or you'd see just uh, we'd fold? Is that what you're saying? I I would say most people are going to fold. Most people are going to fold. For goodness sakes, look at what we've done voluntarily. Well, what was that hashtag, not another one or, or another one off the streets or whatever, where you had guys who six months ago bought AR-15s because they thought, well, i got to protect myself. Then they see, oh, well, now this is a bad thing. So you see them using a, a saw to destroy the weapon that they just bought. So that's the America that's going to stand up. We have an America that's going to stand up who bought guns, yet we're not firing them. This is the difference between when even I was a kid and, and when some of the viewers were a kid. You used to grow up around guns because you used guns. They they kind of became like Bitcoin in 2014. Everyone's like, oh, my goodness, I, I better grab some of these and hold on to them. And I have talked to so many gun owners who still have not taken it out of the gun case. So, again, <laughs> I don't want to sound pessimistic, but as much as I, I would love to say, yes, there's going to be a strong America, where is this strong America? Look at Look at the school shootings. Look at the um, craziness happening in, in, in our city streets. We don't stand up anymore. The Tea Party the Tea Party was almost like the last hurrah, and that just was a blip on the radar. It didn't even change anything. Because even the Tea Party people voted for Republicans who kicked them in the teeth and then two years later voted for them again. So this is why the faithful, the people of, of, a, of a Judeo-Christian biblical belief, right, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's why those people need to realize that they are a subset of the subset. That's the group that needs to stand. That's the group that's going to need to have almost a miracle from on high in order to survive this thing. But coincidentally, that's how the book ends anyway. So maybe we're heading that direction. But with the way it is right now, Boy Scouts, Boy Scouts are not only boys anymore, now they're girls, now at the World Jamboree they're handing out condoms. The Air Force Academy, well, we have to have transsexual bathroom. Who's standing up? Who's standing up? Honestly, three people on on a show? And as great as that is, we have an aircraft carrier that costs us billions of dollars that we refuse to put urinals on because we didn't want to offend .0001% of the population. All right, and by that logic, my what I use, okay, in in my head, for example, if if um, how can I put this? Uh, regardless of the event or of the issue, one person shows up and protests it, they get arrested. Basically, uh, you know, a handful show up. There's news coverage, um, you know, but if everyone showed up which is unlikely to happen, there would be change. I, and I'm trying to, I'm really trying to work this out in my head where we can actually see, sure. or, or we can be the change. We can be the, the, 
the people to say, no, no you've crossed the line. We're not going to put, put up with this anymore. How can we get to that point where you're talking about, where, you know, everyone's kind of just acquiescing to, to the agenda and being the change that is discussed by the people with beer muscles behind the keyboards, you know, the keyboard warriors? How can we go from keyboard warriors to actual warriors? What's it going to take? Uh, men in houses again. See, that's that's the other thing that is different between now and, and the Civil War. We need men in houses again. Hmm. Remember when dads used to raise sons? Remember when when moms used to be moms as opposed to mom, dad, grandpa, grandpa, uncle, and aunt all in one? Yeah. That's what we need again. And until we have that, it, it, it's, it's kind of like this. Basic training for troops, right? You send them to basic training first. Before they ever go to a war, you send them to basic training. Well, the question we're contemplating is, okay, are we going to go to war? We're not, we're not in basic training yet. You have, you have men that are now doing this, um, was it called M, uh, MTGOW or going my own way or whatever it is, where they're, they're saying, you know what? I'm not even going to participate in relationships anymore. Well, that's not fixing the problem. You have divorce rates going through the roof. That's not fixing the problem. So before we get to, hey, can we rise up? Hey, can we even get married? So why don't we try that first? Why don't we raise a kid first? Why don't you figure out who lives eight feet to your left? This is the, the and I'm Good point. <laughs> I, know I sound so pessimistic, but it is so true. You ask the average American, what's the name of your neighbor? Fifty years ago, they would not only know their name, they would know what their favorite food is. They'd play bridge three times a week. Now, we don't even know. Yeah. So, yes, I, I totally hope I'm wrong. That's the thing. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. Yeah, I, I vacillate between the different scenarios. I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that perhaps we might have the one and a half, two, three percent of real men in America rise up and, and, and act like adults and, and tell others to, to, uh, just get out of the, you know, get out of our way. Yeah, but then I, I, then I go think like, like you're thinking, you know, I, I, I just, I've never seen anything like this before. This country is broken. The, the morality, yes. the spirituality is broken. The, the, and my goodness, the spirituality, the, the, the spark plug of, of action, I believe. Yeah. Well, let, let, let me give you an example. So in the county I live in, a, a Republican county, every member of the board for the county board is a Republican. In this county, it is now illegal for me to build a 24-inch fence. It is illegal for me to pile dirt more than three inches high. It is illegal for me to have a blue tarp covering things in my yard. It is illegal for there to be chipped paint longer than 12 months on my domicile. And you know how many people showed up to protest this in a Republican county? One. Seven. Okay. There, there are over 300,000 people just in the, the area I'm in, over three and a half in the total metro area, and seven people show up to protest in a Republican county? Hmm. That's distressing by, by itself. Well, it is. It is. But I don't want to be all doom and gloom here. Well, there well, no. is hope. And the hope comes from if we can get to this point where we're teaching men to be men again, where men aren't feeling bad. I mean, look at look at the attack that's happening. 
You feel, I, I have talked to men who feel bad or guilty for flirting with a woman because where's the line? Uh, I've, I've talked to men who are, are afraid to go on a date or, or, or ask a woman for her phone number because on a college campus out east, that's now considered sexual harassment. We no longer raise men to be men. We're kind of teaching them, you know, that, that gender is fluid. And the crazy thing to me is, 10 years ago, everybody said, well, this is the way you're born. Fit it in the box. You're born this way. This year, it's the, the answer from the same people is nobody's born anyway. Gender and sexual preference is as fluid as water. Well, wait a second. Which one is it? So you have society that's confused on how to even be a society. And then until we get to the point where we have real men standing up to do real man things in a way that's 12 steps before we go to any sort of civil unrest, then why would I think there would be civil unrest? I want to see men in restaurants telling the punk little kid, you're not going to swear when there's ladies present. I want to see men opening the door for women without feeling bad about it. And, and have the, wo- and have the women accept that and, and not, not be insulted or say that they're being objectified by that. Uh, look, i got to throw some blame on the women, too. Some of these, I'm not even sure if they're women, but we'll go with that. Right? Am, am I wrong? Uh, because well, it depends. It okay. depends. De- 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 depends on, on, on which way we're going we're gonna, to, I guess, cut that apple. Because are women playing into that, that system as well? Absolutely they are, yes. But according to the really big book that's sitting on a lot of people's shelf, who's the head of the woman? The man. A, the man, right. So it has to get to the point where the men are going to say, no, I'm going to be a man, period. I'm going to like women. I'm going to be respectful of the elderly. I'm going to raise children. I'm going to dig in the dirt and ride motorcycles or do whatever. That's the way I am. Now, if you want to be a lonely woman for the rest of your life, go for it. But I'm not changing just to fit some sort of social dynamic that you've created in your head and the devil has convinced you is the way to happiness. Because study after study after study in America or Norway or Japan has shown time and again that women are actually happier when there's gender roles. And even talking about this, I'm sure I'm going to get hate mail. Who cares? Who cares? But there, there, there just is a reality to that. So men have to step up first, and then women will respect that step up and say, okay, maybe there's something to this. And if not, well, then that's that's the way that cookie crumbles. But that has to be step number one on this progressive step to are we someday going to stand up to a corrupt government. If we can't stand up to a five foot two blonde weighing 110 pounds, we're not going to stand up to a tyrannical government. I, I totally agree with you on this. I'm to the point, and uh, we're nearing the uh, bottom of the hour break, but I'm to the point, uh, Josh, where maybe we should all get together. Maybe we should have some sort of a, uh, a gathering of, of patriots and get this started. Now, when I say that, I'm not advocating violence here. Let me be clear. Uh, but 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 let's see how it plays out, because rather than wait, it, I, I'm, I'm trying to find a solution, I guess, a practical solution, one that would be expedient but effective. Um and be and be part of that. Everything you said, I, I totally agree with. But we can't. To me, that it's unacceptable. What's happening here is unacceptable. We cannot accept what's unacceptable. So we need to do something. And, and you're you're correct in taking care of the problems at home or the situation at home. You know, look, my home is fine. 
Um, so you know, I you know my marriage is fine. My, my I'm the I'm the leader of my or the head of my family. There's no question about sexuality. There's no question about you know any any of the norms. I suppose. Um, I, I'm I'm off into the weeds here on this, but uh, <laughs> you know, hold that thought because I don't know whether I should pick you up and we we should get a whole round of people together. Well, we'll talk about this after the bottom of the hour. You're listening to the Hagman Report. All right. Hagman Report, our guest, Josh Tully. Uh, folks, visit his website program description in the box. Get right back. Stay with us. And welcome back to this edition of the Hagman Report. It is Tuesday, 22nd of May, 2018. I want to thank... Josh Tully, he got my, he got, he got me thinking during the break by saying a few things, but, but you know, right before the break, we were talking about, uh, a number of things, but, but getting to, you know, what do I have to like get in the driver's seat of this bus? What, let's do this. Let's fight. Let's, let's, you know, let's do something to fix what is broken. And then Josh kind of during the break kind of said a few things and Joe and I were talking and with Josh and, and he just got me in a different kind of thought process. But, but you know, it's interesting and I'm going to turn this over to you, Joe. It's interesting because at the beginning of the program I was talking about, remember when, remember when, for example, uh, you could go in an airplane, people would dress up to go in an airplane. You wouldn't have, you know, guys urinating on the back part of the seat. Hmm. Um, remember those times. Remember when, People would dress up for church, or they had pride in their property. That do you remember those times? Suddenly, it seems like everything is a piece of dung, you know, out there. All of the, not everything, but many things. We've lost, we've lost the sense of decorum that we once had. Loss of self-respect, loss of pride, the good kind of pride. I'm not talking about the pride of, you know, the sinful pride, but uh, uh, but self-respect in, in general. And that, that's where I started out the program. We started out the program and, and now, um, here we are with Josh Holly and, and right before the break we're talking about enacting and affecting change. So Joe, during the break, some interesting words exchanged. Yeah, well we were talking about how, you know, to go about doing this and we talk about this a lot and obviously it has to start at a local level. And as Josh said, you gotta get to know your neighbors, you gotta get to know your community. And then you, you start at the community level and work your way up. Uh, to the, the county, the state, and then the federal level. And so many people are expecting one man, President Trump, to drain the swamp uh, and sitting back and kicking their feet up, not getting involved. And and this is, you know, really the one of the main reasons why we are where we are. And, Josh, what what are some common sense? How do you get people involved on a local level? It seems like such a uphill battle. It's like pulling teeth. It is an extremely hard thing to do, but you're right, that's where it has to start. Because when we think about this idea of draining the swamp, what do we think is going to happen in four years or eight years whenever he's out? Do we think, okay, the, then D.C. is going to remain pure and clean forever? That's that's the plan? Of course not. D.C. is designed to be a swamp. That's how they designed it. And Sun Tzu, Art of War, 101, right? Never fight a battle on the field of battle that your enemy designed. So when we take the fight to D.C., that's what we're doing. We're taking the battle to the field of battle that the enemy designed. That's the number one most likely place to lose. And guess what? Since 1776, we've been losing. There has not been a time in this country that we moved more right. We've just gone left slower. That's it. 
That's all we've managed to accomplish. So if we're really going to take this country back, and I am not advocating force, so NSA, CIA, FBI, just calm down and go back to your imaginary girlfriend. I'm not advocating force, but if we're going to take this country back, it has to be home by home, street by street, and here's the cool thing, county by county. There's about 3,500 counties or so in this country. If we took over 1,750 of them, 1,750 of them, you just neuter D.C. Doesn't matter what D.C. does, it's no longer valid. Doesn't apply. Just see you later. So that's something we have to focus on. But more than even that, we have to get people involved locally. And the number one way, hands down, to get people to do that is for them to become entrepreneurs. No joke. Because entrepreneurship is the number one method of political change. People ask me all the time, well, how did you come up with your political philosophy? Was it Ron Paul? Was it G. Gordon Liddy years ago? Was it, you know, history class or whatever? None of it. I became an entrepreneur and then four weeks later realized, wait a second, you're taxing me what? And then three weeks later, you're going to tear up the road and, and prevent people from coming for how long? And then a, a month later, wait a second, the water use bill is going to direct water away from my place and where? So once you're an entrepreneur, you understand the skin in the game. And as an employee, what do you worry about? And no offense to employees, but what do you worry about? Making sure you get a paycheck, going home, watching TV, going to bed, getting up and doing it again. That's that's what you do. I talked to a guy an hour before the show. He says, man, I'm, I'm the only thing I'm loyal to is my paycheck. Well, if that's the case, then they're never going to rebuild homes, rebuild communities, rebuild the country. It's, it's, it's impossible. You can't do it. And that's why communist and socialist countries always focus on labor. It's not because labor is some holy thing and, well, a man's labor. That's not it at all. They understand that when we are busy being employed, we're politically ineffective. So every communist revolt around the country in the history of the planet has been led by labor. Why do you think that is? Because yeah. entrepreneurs don't need a central bank. Entrepreneurs don't need globalist currency. Entrepreneurs get involved locally. They have less of a divorce rate. They have more uh, productivity in a home, higher educated children. But we don't want to talk about that. So if we really want to fix the country, entrepreneurship. I, I couldn't agree more. Empowering the individual uh, and, and you know that that level of responsibility gives people a whole new worldview and a whole new sense of of you know what they need to do to protect that. And it's right on right on the money, Josh. And uh, more people need to step outside of the box and get in their comfort zone and get out there and, and find out what it is they love to do. And then go ahead and do it. There's no point in working for somebody else uh, your whole life doing a job you hate to do when you have the opportunity in this country to do something you love to do and make a living at it. Uh, yep. And you have a, a great book, as my uh, dad has here, Evangelpreneur. This is a. Uh, What's the name of it, Doug? Can you say it? Oh, don't, don't, don't do this thing. You bet. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. That's a great oh, one. Evangel. E e I can't. E Come on. The book oh, help out me for out. Three years. Every time I talked. <laughs> Evangelpreneur. How's that? There, there we go. go. There you go. I, I, for some reason, I, I got to tell you, I, I, and I love this book, but Evangel. Yeah, there I go again. Evangelpreneur. It's Evangelpreneur. a great book. It is a great book. Well, and, you know what's funny about this, though? I mean, this is a great, great case in point. So one of the other things we need to do is expand our attention span. We have to stop jumping to conclusions. 
We live in a world where now even news stories have to have bullet points to give us the three or four bullet points, or we won't even read the news story, and then it'll also tell us how long it takes to read the news story. We have the attention span, no joke, of a goldfish. And that great case in point is that book cover. I get emails from people after I do appearances on other people's shows. Oh, my goodness, it's sacrilegious. He's, he's turning money, and he's using a cross. And, and they're literally judging a book by the cover. Where inside the book, I talk about why I use that image, because people have turned money into their God, as opposed to worshiping God and just using the money that he gives you. So it, that just serves as a great point on how people just jump to conclusions, because we've lost that ability to read in-depth in articles. If, if we were to take a poll of the average American, when is the last time you read a full-length novel or a full-length nonfiction book? Uh, exactly. Exactly. So, and, 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 by, and by the way, have you noticed, speaking of your book, have you noticed the the, um, the direct assault on capitalism and, oh, and the, yeah. the elevation of this communist system? You've you got people talking about maximum wages now, minimum um, minimum wage, maximum wage. Uh, who, who was that? Diana West mentioned. Was it, I think it might, might, might have been Keith Ellison talking about that. Or uh, it was one of the uh, democratic socialists out there. But so, so you're so all Christians, I believe. I mean, this is steeped in in the um, biblical principles of of obedience, uh, money handling, and uh, really uh, getting off your 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 butt and be able, being able to uh, create something. I should say. Yeah, and and it's it's not prosperity gospel. That's the other thing. I mean, we've been so I guess abused in Christianity. We think everything is either poverty gospel where, you know, money's not important, but make sure you go to work for 40 hours for money, or prosperity gospel where, you know, buy the magic handkerchief, spin around three times and become a millionaire. And we've kind of missed the gospel. And it actually talks about how you go about making money. And unfortunately, employment long term is not it. Now, if you have to do it to put food on the table, got it. But it's not the long-term instruction, and he warns us from Genesis to Revelation on why that is. But going even further than that, when we look at the power of entrepreneurship, that book, along with uh, this course, Business of Life, which people can get on the website, that course, people have taken that course, talked to me six, seven months later, and said, Josh, my entire world has changed. I'm making more money. I'm working with my family. Because think about how crazy this is. If we're going to somehow take back the country, let's start with taking back marriage. Let's just start with that. The average American spends 19 minutes of alone time a day with their spouse. 19 minutes. Yet they spend 8 hours to 9 hours at work, an hour getting there and back. Well, where's the number one place people have an affair? Work. So just that alone. And we've, we've convinced ourselves, well... You know, I, I don't want to work with my spouse. I mean, that'd be terrible. I, he's doing his thing. I'm doing my thing. That's the problem. That right there is the problem. God didn't make Eve to be a once-in-a-while meet. He made Eve to be a help meet, which meant you are going to do something together. Go forth and do this. But we don't teach that anymore either. So really, we got to get back to the basics, man. We need to do like a week-long boot camp, you and I, and how to get people to be people again as opposed to just robots that go to work go home go to work go home and then die i think it's going to take more than a, a weekend josh but you're absolutely yeah, I right so. I, if we can i want to kind of switch gears here into an area that i know that 
you deal with as well as we do. This is what is happening in the new media, the alternative media, and that is censorship, whether suppression of numbers or content, uh, you know, being unavailable to see by others. I could tell by that chuckle. Demonetizations, uh, unsubscriptions, shadow banning. Have you seen an increase in these tactics against your radio show? Oh, my gosh, yes. Oh, my gosh, yes. I'm just, I'm just going to be blunt honest, right? YouTube is not our main source of income. But I was making a decent to large five-figure, well, four to five figures a month on YouTube. So decent, right? As soon as this whole, like, you know, fight hate speech and anything is hate speech, it went down to no 150 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. Now, views stayed the same. What happened? And then in addition to that, then we started noticing, well, something would have like 700 thumbs up but a 1,000 views. Oh, come on. That's statistically yep. impossible. Yep. Or yeah. under the number of views of thumbs up. Or um, we had a lot of this. We had people taking our videos, and they would post them to Facebook or Twitter, and an error message would come up that says this post isn't allowed, and they would take a picture of that and send it in. So, yes, absolutely, which is part of the reason why I think it's so important that people support your show, because we need to support that alternative media. We're even contemplating around here, and maybe we'll get you guys involved in it, we're, we're contemplating going back to an actual printed newspaper version of, of news you, you just so we can mail that out. And what's so funny about that yeah. is Russia's doing the same thing. I, I, I'm telling you, Josh, what you just said there, we had my, my wife came um, this morning uh, with me to the studio and uh, when I did my morning program, and right after that we had a discussion about, well, maybe we should go to a, a, a the printed matter as opposed to something digital only digital but something printed yeah so okay um that's confirmation yeah it is uh incredible just the, the, the timing is incredible because we we've watched look we've watched our numbers on for example youtube uh, we the back end we could see pretty much how many people are watching we've seen numbers actually uh go down in real time i mean or let me rephrase that. Yeah, within um, a day or two, yeah. Well, right. You, we we might have I don't know ten thousand viewing, and then it'll it'll say a thousand viewing on, on on the front end, and then end up being seven hundred total views, all in the course of you know one I don't know just half a day, for example. So it's just ridiculous what what is being and, and the censorship uh, with respect to Google indexing and such. Yep. Yeah, it's 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 so we have to reach more, and we are reaching a lot of people. But we've got to do something more than that. And I think that that's a great idea to, to get the actual something out. Well, yeah. and even with that, another great reason to teach capitalism. Think about this, okay? Think just just think about this. So you have the progressive socialist, communist, Marxist mindset, right? And these are the people who are saying, you know, down with capitalism and tax the rich, even though the rich, uh, their definition, aren't even really rich. But tax them, tax them, tax them. Meanwhile, look at what the CEOs of these major companies are supporting. So you would think that, you know, you'd have Amazon. Well, he must be a conservative ca capitalist elitist, right? Nope, progressive Democrat. Uh, Tim Cook at Apple, progressive Democrat. Bill Gates, eugenicist, progressive Democrat. You, you can go down the list, and what that's really showing us is um, we're kind of losing here because the bad side is using capitalism to kill capitalism so we don't get to use it. 
this is if 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 we, if we were little aliens looking down on the planet, we'd be thinking, oh my gosh, you guys are nuts. That's the secret weapon. The Hagman Report should have their own version of of an Amazon giving you guys a hundred million dollars a year to build out studios and expand spaces. But instead, we're sitting here going, oh come on guys, please buy the the X commercial that's coming on next. And that X commercial is run by a great guy, but you know he's paying that much for the ad. And I love those guys. Please don't take this. But do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. They have literally hundreds of billions of dollars that they're earning through capitalism, and they're using it to kill capitalism so we can't compete. Very well said, and that's that's exactly what they're doing. And, you know, um, with this increase in technology that we've seen and, and the rise of, of media outlets and, and voices on the Internet, uh, we see this, you know, people running away from the traditional mainstream media towards these alternative uh, news sources, but yet at the same time, there these these uh, this internet companies, Google and social media, are doing everything they can to suppress that popularity. Much like they tried to suppress yep. the importance of of the support of Trump. And this, unfortunately, I think we're only at the very beginning of the war, and it's only going to get worse. You know, we're going to be relegated to the to the basements of the internet uh, <laughs> sooner than later. That is why it's so important that you support shows like ours, shows like Josh. And those who Absolutely. get information from, this. you know what, Josh? Uh, I was saying too. We we've got to stick together. Um, I yeah. don't know, J- Joe. You had said something about Roger Stone's wife uh, having some medical emergency. Or something. Yeah, we got an email from a listener who said that Roger Stone put out a plea for prayers on Infowars yesterday for his wife who went into emergency surgery yesterday. All right. It, oh it, no. Yeah, and here's why I mentioned this. Um, be, because right now, as you know, Roger Stone is, is being attacked by, by, yep. by the left, of course, but even some on the, on the right. Um, the, again, the reason I'm bringing this up is for InfoWars. Uh, I host the fourth hour once in a while. In fact, I think tomorrow or the next day I'll be on the war room. Um, but, but having said all of that, you might not agree with everything that, that they say. But you've got to agree for their right to exist. But what's taking place right now are, are these attacks, these lawsuits that are being launched. I mean, we're look, uh, uh, Steve Quayle and myself uh, are fighting a ten million dollar lawsuit, defamation suit, thirty Ooh. months in the making. All right, the the attempt here is not, it's, they don't care. In my view, it's not it's not about winning. It's about bankrupting us. It's about yes. the distraction. But what what this is doing, and the reason I I bring this up, whether it's the Seven or so lawsuits against Infowars, the the threat of indictment against Roger Stone, and by the way, I'm wrapped up in that too, because of my communications with Roger Stone on different matters. And, and you know, so when my attorney calls calls me, and my wife answers the phone, and and she says, "Well, why is he, why is your attorney asking about potentially, um, you know, getting wrapped up in a Mueller uh, question, uh, questions from the Mueller uh, um, crew, basically?" It has an effect on not just business, but the personal, your 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 life, your family. It, it's it's yep. so that's what I want to mention. What we're seeing take place here, they're not playing by the rules anymore. They're throwing everything possible at all of us. So we have to stick together. Yeah. We and and I so kind of incorporating that you know prayer request for Roger, but but and his wife, but but I'm seeing this more and more take place. And I don't want to sound like, you know, it's, it's all about us or it's not. It's about all of us. 
that's kind of warm. Well, it is. And, you know, a, a great example of that is the devil does what the devil does. Look at what he's done to Christianity. There are 41,000 registered Christian denominations in the United States. And we've only had a printed Bible for, for what, 502 years or something like that? So in 500-some-odd years, he, the, the devil has split us up into 41,000 denominations. Well, the same is true in alternative media. There are so many people who are like, well, I don't agree with him on everything. So what? Notice how the left is together and unified, even with the idiots. I mean, you have, you have some kind of smart progressive, well, some smart Democrats anyway. You have crazy, weird progressives. But they're unified in their goal to take on us. Meanwhile, you hop on social media, and people are like, well, I don't like this guy, or I really like this guy. That's the problem. Then, then we're going to lose. And going back to the original question, when are we going to see some sort of revival and take back of America? Not until we fix that. Because until then, it's going to be 27,000 different independent media leaders out there trying to, to lead four people. So, yeah, there has to be some sort of cohesion. Josh, we only got about five minutes left. I want to make sure we ask you this. The 2018 midterm elections, we're seeing uh, sporadic polling in the last month. Uh, many say that the Democrats, the blue wave is coming today. There was a new poll that put the GOP ahead by six points. I don't put much stock into these polls. Uh, if you, what do you think's gonna, how do you think this is gonna play out? Do you think the American people are gonna vote to protect President Trump, or do you think that, uh, this, that they're gonna vote a different way? Well, I think a lot of them are going to vote to protect what they voted for when they voted for Trump. And then, we don't have time to get into that, but those are two separate things. Uh, but I think they're going to vote for that. But I think the thing we really have to watch for, and again, somebody mark this show, because like every time on the Agmans, we end up predicting something accurately. I think what we're going to see is actually more voter fraud, voter corruption, uh, meddling into the election than we've ever seen before. And it's going to go largely ignored, because, I mean, what what's the best time to, to rig a casino? after you investigate the casino for rigging. So right now, we're going through this whole, well, Russia did it, and, and you know, well, let's let's look at Stormy Daniels. So now, when is the best time to actually rig an election? Now. So definitely keep an eye out for that. You are so right in so many ways. Um, what's the best time to do it? The best time to do it is now. You're absolutely correct in that. By the way, our author... Our, uh, our guest, uh, Josh Foley, his book, Evangelpreneur. See, I can say it, honestly. It's one of the, it really, it's, it's required reading, uh, definitely. Get yourself a copy of his book. But, uh, fantastic information tonight, Josh. It's just, it's, it's such a pleasure always talking with you. And pessimism, it's realism, I suppose, with respect to your assessment of where we we're at today. Uh, I can't really argue yeah. with you, but but you know what? We've got the ability in each one of us to change, and that's what you are pointing yep. out, and I love it. Well, yeah, and, and just I, I guess to close with this, that's exactly what I'm pointing out. See, when when you're on a football team, your coach doesn't say, "Oh man, you just got your teeth knocked out," but it's okay, pretend it didn't happen. No, it happened. So we have to realize the position we're actually in, and we're in the position that I I described earlier. But that doesn't mean there's that there's hope lost. We have a supernatural God who's on our side. I read the end of the book. I know how that ends. And there's still breath in our lungs, so there's still hope. And we still have the ability to become entrepreneurs. And as long as we have those things, we can win. So 
that's kind of my conclusion to that. But I will say that we are doing two events, and I love seeing Hagman people show up because every time we do one of these, the Hagman fans show up. So we're doing one June 23rd, 24th in Albuquerque, July 7th and 8th in Dallas. People are flying in from all over the country, so don't say, well, I don't live there. Still get there. Go to purplemonkeygarage.com, purplemonkeygarage.com, hit events, and register. Absolutely, and and uh, if you're in these areas and, and you can attend if within a day's drive or, or more and want to get there, make sure you do that. And you said that's Purple Monkey Garage? Purple, yeah, Purple Monkey, Purple Monkey Garage. 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 Yeah, so, so next month, uh, June 23rd, 24th, Albuquerque, and then July, yes. July when? Uh, July 7th and 8th in Dallas, and you guys... Uh, Doug, Joe, you guys are absolutely invited, uh, along with your your producer, John. You guys can just come for free. Come on in. I would love to have you. Wow. Okay. It, it, that sounds wonderful, by the way. Uh, we will look into that, see if we can arrange that via schedule. So that's that's fantastic. All right. Purple Monkey Garage. There it is. Josh Tully. I want to get your opinion, Josh, on, on one last thing. Yeah. What we're seeing in the news uh, recently with North Korea, it looked like we made some headway. John Bolton came out <laughs> and being said gamed? some things about the Libyan model, meaning, uh, you know, they basically they want to kill Kim Jong. And, and President Trump had to come out and and clarify and, and restate what John Bolton, I guess, uh, correct what John Bolton stated. Do you think there's going to be that meeting on in June 12th? And do you think John Bolton is, is just uh, ruining this for the president? Uh, there might be a little bit of that. I, you definitely have a globalist, nationalist tug of war happening in the White House. We've seen that since day one. So there is a little bit of that, yes. Uh, I think this had the opportunity to become an, a great shining moment for the Trump administration. For goodness sakes, it was only a week ago where the Pentagon confirmed due to satellite images that North Korea started actually dismantling early as a show of faith that they were going to do this. So, yeah, Kim Jong-un is seven flavors of, of crazy, but there was progress here. At this point, I would give it a 50-50. Uh, I'd probably give it 75 that 75% that we're going to delay the meeting. But then again, you have to wonder, you know, what is this really leading into? Because a, a meeting in of, it, of itself is, is absolutely useless. And even the idea of denuclearization is kind of useless unless there's a follow-through to that swing. So... You have to ask yourself, what's the follow-through? Okay. Interesting. Well, we're going to keep our eyes on that. Uh, Josh Tully, listen to the Josh Tully Show uh, each and every day. It's Watch on GCN. It. It's on a number of different places. You can follow Josh Tully at Josh Tully on Twitter, and joshtully.com is the website. As always, it's been a pleasure, Josh. Thank you Thank so you much for friend. joining us, and we'll oh, have to... Same here. God bless you guys. You are my favorite host other than myself <laughs> just kidding no really you guys are great have a wonderful rest of your show i can't wait to see you again all right god bless my friend. we'll do and we'll have to we'll have to make some plans to to come on your show as well it's, it's been too long we're gonna, yeah let's just take it over right agreed anytime all anytime right. all right when we come back we're going to be joined by prophecy expert and author bill salas he's going to talk about at least right what's that the middle east oh yeah in the middle iran? east israel oh, iran yeah. Uh, and so much more when we come back. Bill Salas in hour number three. And welcome back to this Tuesday edition of the Hagman Report. Usually in hour three on Tuesdays, we have Stan Dale with us, but Stan is on his trip to Africa 
to, I think, Tanzania? Tunisia. And he is there doing a number of things, and uh, he's going to come back with all his findings when he returns, and I'm sure he's having a lot really of fun. Indiana Jones, I'm telling you. But in his place, we are going to be joined by Bill Salas. And Bill is an author of a number of books, Revelation Road, Israelistine, The Ancient Blueprints of the Future Middle East, uh, and many more. And we're going to go over some of those books, uh, uh, The Now Prophecies, Israel Stein, Iran, Psalm Joe, 83 War. Uh, the Psalm 83 War, it, that got me looking at the Psalm 83 War and about how things are shaping up. I, in, I, I've got to tell you, how he laid that out in Israel Stein was fascinating. It, and we're seeing the countries develop, the nations develop the, the, in the very fashion that Bill Salas laid out. I didn't mean to... Yeah, to overtalk you, but but I was just amazed at the intellectual work product in those books. Uh, now, of course, there might be some dogmatic differences, uh, minor ones, but nonetheless, when you look at the uh, uh, road, the prophetic road in the Middle East, my goodness, it, it's it's shaping up to be um, what he originally wrote. By the way, I do want to reiterate this request, please. Roger Stone, his wife, went in for emergency surgery yesterday. And uh, please pray for his wife and him, of course. And this is something people don't quite understand. When you are being attacked, when you're being attacked by all sides, uh, in particular, of course, the democratic socialists, the progressives, the people who want, who just hate you, the, in my view, the demonic forces at work are, are, are definitely at work in this case. It takes a toll upon not just your business, not just your reputation. It takes a toll on your family. So keep keep all of the fighters, especially and in including Roger Stone and his wife, in your prayers. Uh, because, again, this has got some consequences. When you're under pressure like that, uh, perhaps facing indictment. And people, you know, they'll pile on and they'll think it's just cool to pile on. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying this because I've watched this happen to others in fact, we've experienced it here last year almost to the day. And then I'm talking. Uh, my wife underwent emergency surgery. And, and I'm not saying it was a direct result of of stress, but I'll, I'll say this. It didn't help. So a lot of people going through that. So, John, let me kick back over to you. We have our guest with us, Bill Salas. And as I uh, already introduced, a number of just fascinating books dealing with the prophetic relevance of the current Middle East situation. And we've seen just in the last few weeks just a, a huge increase in activity in the Middle East between Israel, Iran, the U.S., Saudi Arabia, and others. Bill, welcome back to the Hagman Report. Well, it's great to be back with you, Joe and Doug. Hey, uh, before we start, how's my sound quality? Sometimes these Skype interfaces can be a little tough on the sound quality. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, we, we hear you fine. Not only that, you're looking great. <laughs> you're so kind. Well, Bill, there's been, uh, you, you appeared on our daily show, uh, last Friday, and that was just a, a fantastic show. And for those who missed it, it's up there on YouTube. And we talked about the breaking information of, of this week, last week, the recognition of Jerusalem as the capital by the U.S. opening up an embassy in Jerusalem on the 70th year anniversary to the day that Israel was established as a nation again. Uh, just, fantastically prophetic events happening before our eyes. Let's talk about Bible prophecy, uh, maybe for those who might not uh, be too aware of it. What is Bible prophecy, and how much of the Bible is devoted to foretelling future events? Well, the Bible prophecy, uh, 
about a third of the Bible is devoted toward Bible prophecy, the predictive information. J. Barton Payne, who wrote the Encyclopedia of Bible Prophecy, says 26.8% is devoted toward the Bible. He said about 9,000 verses, but some of us would lean more toward almost 10,000, almost a third of the verses. Uh, there's 31,000 plus verses in the Bible, which tells you how important Bible prophecy is to God, that he would devote such you know, precious real estate as the pages of the parchments of the Bible toward predictive information. What Bible prophecy is, is it's invaluable predictive information outsourced from a loving God with 100%, not 100%, 100% accuracy, and it's intended to authenticate his sovereignty and to equip us for the days in which we live, and it can spare lives, and it does save souls. And let me just qualify those four comments. Uh, authenticate God's sovereignty. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 tells us that I am God, there is no other. I am God, none, there's none besides me, declaring the end from the beginning. So what he's saying there, he's laying the gauntlet down, saying, listen, I'm the only real God, there's no other God, and the way I demonstrate this is I can tell you the future. I can tell the end from the beginning. And that's, of course, what Bible prophecy is. Equip us for the days in which we live. Let's look back historically on, for instance, like Noah. He needed to know a worldwide flood was coming. That was a prediction that came true for him. What about jo uh, Joseph uh, in Egypt? He had to know that seven years of famine were coming, but it would be preceded by seven years of plenty. And then Jeremiah, of course, is another example. And I, I like to allude to Jeremiah because uh, the 70-year scenario with Israel may have some connections with his time when the, the Jews went into 70 years of captivity into Babylon. But Jeremiah warned that they would go into seven years of captivity. And and not to fight Nebuchadnezzar when he came from with the Babylon uh, Babylonian armies. And the, those that listened to him survived. They went into exile, but they survived. And then lastly, that's, that's about sparing lives and giving, uh, equipping people for the days in which they live. But lastly, saving souls. You know, Bible prophecy is an evangelical witnessing tool, especially now when we see so many things stage-setting for fulfillment, biblical prophecies. Uh, and my example is the testimony of my own salvation. I came to know the Lord through uh, Bible prophecy teacher Chuck Missler, who has just recently passed away at the age of 83, great prophecy expert, was teaching on the book of Revelation at a Calvary Chapel in Big Bear Lake, California, that was right next door to my mortgage company at the time. And in 1990, the pastor there, and I was not interested in anything about God at that time in my life, uh, invited me to come over and listen to this, this scholar, Chuck Missler, and it, you know, it just gripped me that uh, the God of the Bible knows the end from the beginning. And so it, that's shortly thereafter I took my altar call and got saved. And of course now I'm involved in Bible prophecy as a teacher and you know, a media personality. So uh, that's that's what Bible prophecy is, and it's very important to God, and it's extremely important to us to know what God wants us to know. Absolutely right, and we've seen a number of things happen, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show: the withdrawal from the Iranian nuclear deal, the Israeli embassy. Uh, let's start with the Iranian nuclear de deal. Was the decision Trump made to pull out of this agreement a good decision? And what will be the fallout, if any, uh, uh, from pulling out of the, the agreement? Well, you know, this was one of his campaign promises. He had roughly about 76 presidential campaign promises. One was to move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. But the other big one was he wanted to... Uh, shred that nuclear deal with Iran or redo it. You know, he thought it was just a terrible deal. His comments were, Iranians got everything, we got nothing. And so on May 8th, with the swoop of a pen, he withdrew from that nuclear deal. 
know, that deal, that nuclear deal, just a little bit of the history of it, uh, was negotiated with the P5 plus one in Iran and was uh, put together on July 14th of 2015. Now, the P5 plus one are the permanent five members of the Security Council. They're the ones that all had nuclear weapons. They, they were able to keep those uh, when the uh, non, the what do you call it, the Nuclear Proliferation Act came forward. And so uh, that was Germany, France. Germany's the plus one. So it's France, England, China, Russia, and America. And that deal was adopted in October 18th of 2015 and implemented in January 2016. So it, it was in motion for roughly about a year and a half before he withdrew from it. But he had said in October of 2017 that he wanted to you know, make some changes on that deal. And on January 18th, he continued to say that if no changes were made, he would terminate from it. And then on May 12th was supposed to be the deadline to make his decision. He jumped it forward on May 8th. And kind of an interesting story on that. Uh, Mike Pompeo, a newly appointed Secretary of State, had gone over to Israel to meet with Benjamin Netanyahu. And the story is that uh, on, he had, Benjamin Netanyahu had said, in January we have confiscated all this information, this intel from Iran about their su- secret nuclear program, 100,000 documents, but we've only filtered through about 40% of it. Would you think Donald Trump would like us to reveal this now? So Pompeo called Donald Trump, and this was uh, right, right around uh, May 2nd or something like that and said, uh, yeah, reveal it. And so just a few days before he withdrew on May 8th, he had this bombshell of information, which Israel said was one of the greatest intel discoveries uh, of the Mossad. But I say it's one of the greatest intel discoveries in the whole world. How did they come away with 100,000 documents from Iran's secret nuclear program? It was incredible. Yeah, it was. That was a great great spy endeavor. Or (laughs) That was fantastic. However, they did that. Well, you know, and, and uh, supposedly as they were leaving the country, smuggling this out, uh, they were being chased. So uh, somehow they got out. Obviously, I believe the Lord led them through uh, st- safely. But, um, you know, and there's, so there's still 60% that hasn't been filtered through yet. So what what kind of damning information is going to be there? But you talk about what what does it mean now? Well, it's, it's interesting, you know, on the one hand, Israel's giving Donald Trump a standing ovation and his administration that he's got around him with Pompeo and John Bolton and Nikki Haley and, and of course, uh, Jared Kushner, his son-in-law, was Mideast Peace Envoy, our ambassador, Friedman. Uh, and bo- those guys are Jewish, by the way. And then, uh, you know, so he's got himself surrounded with a very pro-Israel cabinet. But also, uh, he's making friends with some of the Sunni countries that don't like Iran and they're very concerned about Iran's terrorism, their ICBMs, their nuclear program. And that would be Saudi Arabia, of course, and some of those Sunni-related countries. Uh, on the other hand, though, he's created a real uh, mess for uh, the European countries, France, Germany, and Britain. They're trying to rally around together and save the deal. Uh, Iran just recently went over to China, uh, sent Zarif over there, their lead uh, nuclear negotiator, uh, trying to make sure they stay in with the deal. China's got the most uh, involvement with Iran with their contracts. Russia and China have contracts to build more nuclear reactors in Iran and in the area of the Bashar nuclear reactor that already exists. And, and so what I'm looking at from the prophetic perspective is that, that there's an ancient prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 49, uh, verses 34 through 39, dealing with Iran. It's called Elam, E-L-A-M. And when you look at a modern-day map of Iran today, you have Elam, which hugs the Persian Gulf. It's about one-fifth of the country of Iran. And then you have Persia, which is about the other four-fifths, which is you know in central Iran and, and the rest of it. 
And so they, Iran has double jeopardy in the end times. Uh, Persia is a subject of Ezekiel 38 prophecy. Many of your listeners are familiar with that massive invasion with Russia, Turkey, Iran, and they've put together a coalition of nine nations, to, uh, populations to come against Israel in the latter days for plunder and booty and, and that sort of thing. And many of us are watching for that to happen because of the relationships that Russia has with Iran and Turkey's hatred of Israel, etc. But before Ezekiel wrote, that prophecy, his contemporary Jeremiah wrote about Elam and around 596 B.C., six verses. But they it sounds to me like this is a prophecy that is nuclear. It, it talks about a disaster. It says, it says in these verses, I'll just summarize it in a nutshell, because I think this is where this is going. I think that this prophecy is going to find fulfillment in Iran. And it says that uh, the, the leadership of Iran at some point, Jeremiah said, will fiercely anger the Lord. And because they are fiercely angering the Lord, he will create a disaster in that area, which is where the Bashar nuclear reactor is and where Russia and China want to build several more nuclear reactors. And what it says is that the the reason he's angry with that leadership is because they want to launch something lethal somewhere. It says that he's going to prevent that. The Lord's going to prevent that. He's going to break the bow. Uh, their, their ability to launch, and that, you know, we're not probably at this point in time talking about bows and arrows, and this is, the prophecy does say it's a latter days prophecy. So we're not talking about bows and arrows, we're talking about, you know, uh, launching mechanisms, maybe ICBM missiles, etc. So he's gonna break their bow at the foremost of their might, which, you know, if that was to happen now, we'd probably be talking about their, their nuclear potential, their nuclear scenario. And the reason there's credence to that thought is because then what happens when the, the bow is broken at the foremost of its might? He says he will bring the four winds from the four quarters of heaven and scatter the Elamites, the indigenous population that's affected by the disaster, into all those winds. And it says there'll be no nations, plural, where those outcasts, where those exiles do not go. And it says it happens at a time when uh, Elam has enemies. Uh, it says your enemies, you'll be dismayed before your enemies. Uh, and that's a, you know, Iran has an enemy, a, a menu of enemies right now. Israel is very concerned. They're probably going to strike them. They've been warring with them in Syria on the battlefield there, been striking some of their targets in Syria. Um, of course, the Saudis and the Sunni states, the Gulf Cooperative Council, those states on the other side of the Persian Gulf are very concerned about Iran and their, their Bushar nuclear reactor, which is a nuclear disaster waiting to happen, built on three tectonic plates where they converge. Um, you know, the international community is very concerned about Iran's spread of terrorism. That's why they negotiated a nuclear deal. They're concerned about them shutting down the Strait of Hormuz. Uh, and, and Pompeo just the other day uh, said that, that they will not allow the waterways to be choked off by Iran. You know, in that 12-point plan that uh, Pompeo put forward just the other day at the Heritage Foundation. And then uh, and lastly, it talks about um, that he will consume them with the sword, which tends to be a military uh typology in the Bible and that's the bad news for Iran but the last two verses in the prophecy talk about that the Lord will set his throne in Iran and that, you know that's an interesting thought there the same word used for what he said he'll set his throne in Jerusalem when the Messiah comes in Jeremiah chapter 3 and he says in the end times in the latter days he will bring back those captives those exiles who were dispersed so uh, that's a six verses of probably the most pertinent prophetic information that I'm watching for right now, guys. That's in Jeremiah chapter 49. Now, I've written a book on that called Nuclear Showdown in Iran, Revealing the Ancient Prophecy of Elam. And one last comment, and I know I'm just talking and talking, so uh, I'll try to make my next comments more abbreviated, but uh, 
the weekend before Trump backed out of that nuclear deal on May 8th, so on May 4th, 5th, and 6th, I was on uh, the most watched satellite television show in Iran. Millions of Iranians watched me and Hormoz Chariot, who translated in Farsi, speak about this prophecy that I just talked to you guys about, and we're warning them, in, especially in that uh, west coast area there by the Persian Gulf, about this prophecy. We're alerting them that they, they might need to develop their exit strategy at this point because uh, you don't want to be leaving out of a forced exile because of some nuclear disaster. You want to get out of there while you can now. But the problem is most of those Iranians are so impoverished, it's very difficult for them to have an exit strategy. And uh, that's my take on that. Okay. You mentioned Syria. We see, uh, you know, a number of things happening in Syria, as you said, with Russia, with Iran, with the United States, with Israel. Uh, do you see Bashar al-Assad retaining power? And how is Syria going to factor into uh, a, a potential conflict between Israel and Iran and the U.S.? If I was Bashar al-Assad, prophetically speaking, I would be also forming an exit strategy because um, it looks like an ancient prophecy written by Isaiah, uh, and he was around 740 to 701 B.C., uh, one of his most powerful prophecies in Isaiah 17, and many of us prophecy guys are talking about this prophecy right now, and it talks about the destruction of the capital city of Syria, which is Damascus. It says, behold, Isaiah 17 verse 1 says, behold, Damascus will cease from being a city, and it will be a ruinous heap. And in Hebrew, it means reduced to rubble. In other words, it will never be inhabited again. It's one of the oldest continuously inhabited cities in recorded history, going back almost 4,000 years to the time of, uh, you know, Father Abraham. And so I'm very concerned that uh, what's going to happen is this prophecy is going to find fulfillment in and around the prophecy I just talked about. You know, which one might come first? Will Israel strike? And it says in Isaiah 17, verse 9, it tells us who takes out Damascus. It says there's desolation caused by the children of Israel. And, uh, you know, we've got conversations and, and threats from Avigdor Lieberman, the Defense Secretary of Israel, Minister of Defense, saying that, you know, if, if Syria strikes Tel Aviv or Tehran strikes Tel Aviv, uh, Damas they will destroy Damascus. And, uh, and they've also threatened to kill Bashar al-Assad and destroy his palaces. Well, those palaces are in Damascus that they're talking about. So we're talking about real-time news of an ancient prophecy that's you know, about 2,700 years old. And it says in Isaiah 17, verse 14, that you'll see Damascus. It says, at eventide you see him, but in the morning he is no more referring to Damascus and the masculine pronoun, which is the portion of those who plunder us and a lot of those who rob us. So in other words, in self-defense, Israel will destroy Damascus. So if I was Bashar al-Assad, he's in power. Uh, he's going to remain in power for a while, but if this prophecy is going to find fulfillment, he's going to be gone. He's going to be toast. Bill, uh, does it matter, uh, pulling the lens back a little bit, does it matter that what we've seen with the Arab Spring, the uh, Benghazi takedown by Hillary Clinton's State Department and Barack Obama, does it matter that the war that we're seeing in Syria, as it's described as a civil war, but it's really not. It was started externally, and you've got multiple forces there. Uh, so I guess my question ultimately is, from a pulling the lens back, does it matter Barack Obama's actions leading to, and, and the Clinton State Department leading to, 
the destabilization of Syria, does that matter or factor into the prophetic at all? Well, I, I think it does. Uh, I, I believe that during his tenure, irreparable damage was done in our foreign policy and created the type of scenario where you could have Hezbollah, for instance, to the north, a proxy of Iran who's been fighting in Syria, have 150,000 missiles. Um, you know, they lobbed 4,000 over 34 days in 2006 into northern Israel, but now they've got 150,000. They're not supposed to have them. And the estimates are when they get the go-ahead from Ayatollah Khomeini and the IRCG, uh, or GC, to attack Israel, they will launch about a 1,000 missiles per day. You're going to talk about an epic war when this happens. And so I believe that that kind of damage should happen. The Arab Spring in 2011 was incredible. And, and some of the, like Saudi Arabia, the way they got out of it was they, they threw money at the problem. Um, other countries handled it in different ways, but we know, like, for instance, Egypt, they had their issue going on where they had Mubarak was gone, and then comes in Morsi, and then comes in Sisi, and, you know, it created a major situation. Iran also had some things going on, but they know how to stop protests, so Iran didn't get out of hand. But Bashar al-Assad decided to, decided to fight, and that's, that's when that happened, and it got real intense around 2013. And uh, in 2015, I think it was around that time, that Russia got involved. So at that point, uh, they they entered in on the premise that they were going to get rid of Bashar al-Assad's chemical weapons. Uh, but what happened is they just bombed, you know, all the people against Assad into smithereens, into submission, and pretty much kept Assad in power and went lockstep with Iran, allowed Iran to get missiles into Hezbollah. Uh, so, you know, that's what happened. And I, it really has put Donald Trump and his administration in a position now where the only way out is probably going to be an epic war. I do see something like that happening. I, I, you know, one of the things with the Arab Spring that I was saying when it, when it happened, I was quoting Daniel 2, verses 20 and 21. It says, It's the Lord who uh, changes times and seasons. He raises up and removes kings and gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those with understanding. Now, we saw a season of change. We saw a lot of kings coming and going. Uh, and, and so we saw some of the, you know, uh, a lot of the bad kings stayed in place, though, like Assad, Ayatollah Khomeini, Hassan Nasrallah. And, uh, but where we're at right now, in my estimation, with, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu as the Prime Minister of Israel, Avigar Lieberman as his Minister of Defense, uh, you look at a picture, of, you should put a picture of Joshua and Caleb right next to a picture of them together. Because you have kings who are willing to fight for Israel at this point. Uh, not like Ehud Olmert and Tipsy Livni of the past. These guys will fight for the nation. And now you look at the kings we've got with America and his uh, Donald Trump and his pro-Israel uh, entourage around him. And then you got, so in my estimation, you got all the good kings in the right places and you got all the bad kings in the right places for the perfect storm. And I think that's what we're going to see. I think the moves Trump has made with withdrawing from the deal, uh, the nuclear deal and moving the embassy, uh, I think these are going to have prophetic ramifications, and I do see these things leading toward a potential powerful war starting in the Middle East, but maybe not confining itself there. I think I was talking on uh, Joe's program the other day and uh, the Daily Report saying, you know, we, we also could see terrorism spring up in our country again, too. We don't know the tentacles, how far and vast they've gotten from Hezbollah through South America, through Latin America, through the borders into America, you know, so I caution America's, Americans to think that there's going to be uh, havoc in the Middle East if it gets to these epic proportions, but we're going to be okay and we're still going to be able to get our groceries and our gas and all this sort of thing. Things will probably adversely affect us enormously as well over here. 
I want to jump into the uh, the recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, moving the embassy there, and what uh, that brought with the violence in Gaza. We learned Hamas came out and said that, yes, uh, 50 of the 62 dead were uh, terrorists, were Hamas terrorists. And today we have a story from the leader of Hamas saying that they are in dialogue with Iran daily. Um, what if, is this an indication that, uh, you know, because the 70 years to the day that Israel became a nation again is when President Trump recognized the uh, U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is the capital. Do you think there's some signaling there? Moved the embassy. Yeah, well, it's not open yet. I mean, but well, yes, right. But but what was the purpose of doing it on that 70th year anniversary to the day? Do you see any uh, importance there? Well, I think you know, uh, from the secular worldview perspective or Trump's perspective. Uh, the significance was showing such a strong show of support for our favorite friend in the Middle East, our best ally, uh, doing something that, you know, uh, reversing the tide that had happened with Obama. Obama's popularity in Israel was down in the single digits, especially toward the se- at the end of his second term. So Trump, I think, was making, you know, a, just a great gesture uh, to show him what kind of good friends we are. I, I find, you know, remember that uh, they were not going to put that embassy in there until maybe even after his first term if, and, 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 uh, they were going to, it was going to cost, you know, a lot of money. He said, no, we're going to make it happen on May 14th. He jumped the gun on that. And so, you know, basically, uh, you know, I think it was just basically to thank them and show our strong relationship. But my thing is, the 70-year thing may be more significant from that when you look at biblical, you know, numerology and things like that. Um, I brought up Jeremiah at the beginning of the program. Uh, the Jews had what was called every seven years a Shemitah year. It was a year of release. They were supposed to give back their landlord holdings and release, that the word is release, their, their debt, and start another seven-year period and let the land rest for seven years, excuse me, for that year, and then start the next six years again and, and go on with their business and trusting and walking with the Lord, etc. But they weren't doing that, and they owed God 70 Shemitahs. And so what happened was he said, I'm going to give the land that Sabbath rest is what he called it. There's Sabbath rest. Jeremiah tells us this. It's also in the book of Chronicles. And for 70 years, they will go into captivity. And we find out that that's exactly what happened. They went into captivity for 70 years. And then Persia, King Cyrus becomes the uh, king at the time and sends the Jews back into the land. You pick that up in the book of Ezra. But I look at that and I say, look, if God took his own chosen people out of their promised land for 70 years to give that land peace, to give that land rest. How's he going to respond to 70 years of no peace and no Sabbath rest in that land because of the Arabs around Israel that are part of Psalm 83, they're part of other prophecies that voted against their being in Israel, that have gone to war against Israel in 1948, 1967, 1973, that for the most part are still a serious threat to Israel, especially the Hamas the Palestinians, the Hezbollah, etc. Uh, I'm just wondering if God's going to make a statement here. Uh, I know God is very long-suffering, but these ancient prophecies are not going to remain on their parchments indefinitely. They're going to roll off and pound down on the world pavement and pack a, a powerful global punch. And I, I just don't know how much longer we're going to go until the next prophecy finds fulfillment. And when it does, it'll be epic. And the ones there will be several others, in my estimation, that will follow on its heels. And from that point forward, the world will really never be the same again. Bill, let me ask you this. What does Israelis' immediate future look like, uh, as well as the overall uh, Middle East? Well, Israel, you know, when we talk about the future, we talk about Bible prophecy, you know. 
And so if, if, if there's anything said about any country uh, in the Bible that's predictive, we can count on that to be a true testimony of what will happen. Uh, and when it comes to Israel, there's no shortage of things talked about with Israel. Um, what is ultimately going to happen, in my estimation, is Israel is going to, the Israeli Defense Forces exist today in fulfillment of Bible prophecy to defend their nation, I believe to conquer the Arab Confederacy and, and the Psalm 83 prophecy. I've written a book on that called Psalm 83, The Missing Prophecy Revealed, uh, to deal with other prophecies dealing with Jordan, uh, to deal with uh, Damascus, the destruction of Damascus. We talked about that in Isaiah 17. And what will happen is they'll have, in my estimation, a, a window period of time where they will dwell securely. And it says in Ezekiel 38, which is a huge prophecy, not dealing with any of those countries around them to share common borders, but an entirely different coalition of Russia, uh, Turkey, Iran, some of the North African countries, Libya, uh, some of the breakaway uh, Soviet Union states, uh, the, the southern steps of Russia area. And they're going to come against Israel. But it says they come against an Israel that's very wealthy because they're coming for plunder and booty. Uh, that is dwelling securely, which Israel, in my estimation, is not doing that now, uh, without walls, bars, nor gates. And that's when that prophecy will find fulfillment. So we see a picture of Israel in the future that is extremely wealthy, so much to the point that Russia put this massive coalition together to come after that wealth and livelihood. And they will be dwelling without walls, bars, nor gates. Now, they 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 have a 403-mile wall right now that separates Palestinian terror out of Israel proper, at some points, it's 20 feet high, filled with concrete. They've got security checkpoints all throughout. Um, all the Israelis know where their bomb shelters are. Uh, so, you know, I, I see Israel getting a, a window period of being secure for a little while, but then they can't rest on their laurels too much because Russia's coming down the, down from the uttermost parts of the north on them. Uh, God stops that, not the Israeli Defense Forces and not America. That's too formidable for uh, for Israel to fight. Uh, I don't know why we don't get involved, but you know, we don't. We seem to find ourselves in that prophecy, but not fighting, but protesting in Ezekiel 38 verse 13 as the merchants of Tarshish and their young lions. Something I think happens to America that puts us in a position where we we can't really defend Israel. But um, what happens is God stops it supernaturally with an earthquake, fire, hailstone, and brimstone, and the world will be shocked as little tiny Israel survives not only the Psalm 83 war with the Israeli defense forces, but the Ezekiel 38 prophecy with God's supernatural intervention. And it says as a result, when the world knows this, in Ezekiel 39.7, that God will make his holy name known in the midst of his people Israel, and he, they shall not profane his holy name anymore, and the nation shall know, all the nations shall know that he's the Lord. Uh, they won't all believe in him, in my estimation, but they will all come to the recognition that the God of Israel is a big deal. And uh, so, and then, then ultimately the sad thing is, after that, Israel has to deal with the Antichrist. And it says that he will uh, promote a genocidal campaign that will be worse than Hitler's. In the end times, Israel will, he'll confirm a false covenant with Israel and some other party, which I believe is the harlot world religion, but some other party, and it will be for seven years, and that's when you have what's called the seven-year tribulation period. And uh, it says in the middle of that that he will go into the temple, which will be built at that time, the third Jewish temple, and he will do an abominable act, and when he comes out, Jesus warned them when, when the Jews see that, that they need to flee immediately. Because what happens is when the Antichrist comes out of the temple, he creates this genocidal campaign. And we're told in Zechariah 13.8 that two-thirds of the Jews will be cut off in the land. They will be killed. Um, but one-third will come through it. And that's what we call the faithful remnant of Israel. And they end up fleeing to uh, appears to be southern Jordan, which is Petra right now. 
and, and the bog. I got frozen up there, Bill. I don't know if you can hear us, but you're you're frozen up. Your video's frozen up. We're going to try to work that out. But uh, wow, this is fascinating. Uh, Bill Salas is our guest, frozen up on video and audio at the moment. So we're going to try to work that out. And of course, his array of books. If you don't have them, man, he's been right on the money. He was coming on back in 2014, uh, and even prior to that. And everything that that he was talking about back then, to where we are today, it's just it's you know he's just been right on the money. Oh, all right, he's back. I think we got him. Bill. Can you hear us? I can hear you. Can you hear me? We, we mm-hmm. can indeed. Yeah, you just so, kind of froze up. So you start talking about the Antichrist, and I guess uh, <laughs> principalities get concerned, right? Yeah, wouldn't be exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, I'm not exactly certain where that froze up. Precisely, but uh, you know, I, I was we, when, when d- during that period when we were getting you back, I was I was saying to Joe, and I think this is kind of important to, to kind of revisit. When you first came on our program back in 2014 or thereabouts, um, compare uh, compare, or how can I phrase this? It was a different world back in 2014, and and pretty much everything you had written about and everything you were talking about in the last four years has really been right on the money. Uh, how far? How, how much ground have we covered in the four years? As much as you expected, more than you expected, or less than you expected in terms of prophetic fulfillment? Well, as far as prophetic fulfillment, probably a little less because, you know, for the longest time, having studied and researched these prophecies that talked about how the Lord would curse those that curse Israel. That's Genesis 12.3. That's his foreign policy to the, the Gentile nations. He said, I will bless those who bless Abraham, but I will curse those who curse you. And that goes to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I was praying for a long time, going, Lord, when are you going to curse those who curse Israel? Not that I'm a warmonger or anything like that, but I'm thinking, my goodness, it can't get much worse, and they're not going to change their, their tracks. And uh, I got about a year and a half ago, I got a, a message from the Lord that says, what part of it, I'm, I'm a long-suffering God, don't you understand? So I, I recognize the reason these prophecies haven't found their fulfillment yet although I think they're about to, is because God's long-suffering. And that proof is in the prophetic pudding. He's doing supernatural evangelism in Iran. There's dreams, visions, miracles, and healings. Other other places like in Syria and refugee camps and things like that as well. Um, so as far as, as I look back over the last four or five years, things are definitely heating up. I'm kind of surprised some of these prophecies haven't found fulfillment yet. Uh, but I, at this point, I think they're about to find fulfillment. Um, they they are on the prophecies. They're going to have to roll off the parchments. And at this point, everything, there's no weapon that isn't fashioned, no technology that's not formed, no prophetic national relationship that's not formed or in the formative stages like Russia and Iran, et cetera, uh, for these prophecies to be stalled much longer. Well, what, yeah, and what, what do you see as next? Uh, uh, help us along this timeline. Is it a war that breaks out in the Middle East in, involving uh, the powers that you mentioned, Russia, Turkey, and Iran, uh, the coalition that will invade Israel and the prophecy of Ezekiel 38, or does uh, something else come before that, or do we know? Uh, well, we can kind of, from details of prophecies, take an educated guess, and this will be an educated speculation here. Um, I have a book called The Now Prophecies. Uh, you know, the prophecies that have not found fulfillment yet will not all find fulfillment at the same time. 
They will happen soon and sequentially, in my estimation, but in a certain, certain sequence. The now prophecies are those that have no preconditions. They could actually happen at the present time. Uh, and one of those is the Iran prophecy I talked about in Jeremiah chapter 49. In, in my estimation, the prophecy of Elam will probably happen next. And the only thing I think that might trump that in front of that is the destruction of Damascus. That could actually precipitate the Iran prophecy, Isaiah 17. So I'm looking at two prophecies right now in Isaiah 17, which we talked about earlier, the destruction of Damascus, the nuclear disaster it appears to be in Jeremiah chapter 49, uh, dealing with Elam. I think at that point that's going to lead to the, full, the other prophecies that just precede Ezekiel 38. See, Ezekiel 38 is a huge prophecy. A lot of my colleagues are going, watch out for that prophecy right now. I don't see that as a now prophecy. I call that a next prophecy. The next prophecies have some preconditions. And, and so Israel has to be dwelling securely. That walls, bars, and gates, they have to be extremely wealthy. And I just don't see that Israel quite there yet. However, after the Israeli Defense Forces do what they're called to do in fulfillment of Bible prophecies, um, Israel will, will dwell securely. I think they can take down the walls, bars, and gates, etc. And uh, so I'm looking at uh, Jeremiah 49, Iran prophecy. I'm looking at Isaiah 17, Damascus prophecy. Also, other details in Jeremiah 49, verses 23 through 27, dealing with Damascus. More details, different camera angle of that prophecy. I'm looking at Psalm 83, which is a concluding Arab-Israeli conflict. I'm looking at Zechariah 12, verses 1 through 6. It talks about a time when Jerusalem will become a, a cup of trembling to the nations around about Israel. Uh, and it'll be, it says at that time, it'll be a burdensome stone to the international community. And all of those who meddle and assemble against it, which we see is exactly what's been happening since Israel's been a nation. And we see it again in the United Nations, even now when Trump you know, says he's going to move the embassy. They meet and come out with a resolution against Trump's move. Uh, they want to divide Israel. And, and so basically it says when they meddle, it'll be a burdensome stone to the international community. It'll cut them to pieces. It will sorely wound them. And then in Zechariah 12, verses 4 through 6, it tells us that there'll be supernatural intervention combined with IDF military action. It says that what will happen, and it won't be land for peace, guys. It says that the captains of Judah... The IDF, the Ilufim, which is the name of the major generals, I believe, still today of the IDF. Uh, they will come, and there'll be a battlefield. It'll be like a fire pan. And it says that the IDF will be a fiery torch, and the surrounding Arab nations will be sheaves. And Israel will defeat them. And Jerusalem will stay intact, it says. So I'm looking at Zechariah 12 also. Um, Arab-Israeli war that gives, gives, gives way to the Ezekiel 38 battle. And then after the Ezekiel 38 battle, uh, then we get into the tribulation type scenarios in my estimation. In the Psalm 83 war, I don't know, Bill, if I, if I missed that, you wrote a book, uh, a, an awesome book, the Psalm 83, the missing prophecy revealed. And, uh, this is, is this the same as Ezekiel 38? No. Okay. Uh, different prophecies for several reasons. I'll just announce the reasons real quickly for you. Uh, Psalm 83 share, are countries that share common borders with Israel, uh, Lebanon, Hezbollah, Syria, Iraq, uh, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, probably Egypt. Of course, you got Hamas and, and the Gaza. The Palestinians are in this prophecy, in my estimation. Uh, they will come against Israel to wipe the nation off, that the name of Israel will be remembered no more. They want to take possession of the pastures of God for their, themselves. They want They want to take the land. 
They don't want a two-state solution. They want a one-state solution. They don't want peace with the Jews. They want peace without the Jews. Now, some some people say, well, that's already happened in 1948. Uh, they've got tre- Israel's got some treaties with Jordan, and they got treaties with Egypt. Uh, Saudi Arabia's buddying up with Israel now because they, you know, they want Israel to attack Iran. So there are still some dynamics we've got to watch, but that prophecy has not found final fulfillment because when it does, uh, Israel will dwell securely, and there'll be no more oppression. That's what the prophet petitions ASAP. He says, "Deal with them." And historical precedent, he gives us examples in the book of Judges. And, and, and all those examples, what it is, is the, they, they defeated the Midianites, they defeated the Canaanites, and those populations never oppressed them anymore. So that prophecy has not found fulfillment yet, and I think that will find fulfillment soon. IDF wins that one, different motives, different participants. Ezekiel 38 is defeated by God, not the IDF. Uh, it's no nation to share common borders with Israel. None of them have ever been Israel's enemies, but they will be their enemies in that prophecy. And they're coming for plunder and booty, different motives. So, different prophecies. Okay. You know, I've got a question. I know that you probably get this a lot, and I know that the relevance, it might not be relevant, or it it might be taken out of context. But have you, in the current environment, in the ever-changing environment, um, the Antichrist scenario, do you believe, for example, the how close are we to, to that Revealing of, of of the Antichrist. I, I'm not sure how to ask that question, but well, the the revealing of the Antichrist, we are told in a couple different scriptures, happens in Second Thessalonians two. We're told that when the restrainer is removed, Satan will come forward and he will use supernatural deception, lying, all lying signs and wonders, uh, to deceive humanity, and at that point. Uh, they will be clamoring for the lawless one, it's called, and he will be revealed. I, a lot of us would teach the restrainer is dealing with when, what happens when the church is raptured out, the Holy Spirit is, he's, he's, his ministry, I believe the Holy Spirit can multitask, he's involved with the reconciliation of the church, etc. But God's gonna say, okay, I've pulled my church out, and now don't restrain Satan any further. He gets to put forward his closing arguments. And we find the first thing that happens when Jesus opens the scroll in Revelation chapter 5, chapter 6 happens, and the white horseman of the apocalypse comes out. And he comes out conquering and to conquer. He begins his threefold campaign. After, I believe, the church is raptured, we're in heaven in Revelation 4 and 5, not on the earth anymore, between Revelation 6 all the way to Revelation 19, no mention of the church. And the white horseman comes out, and so Satan throws his point man out right in the beginning, and he embarks upon a threefold career. He's going to be a military leader because we find out in Daniel 11 he's winning wars. He's going to be a political leader because we find out in Daniel 9 Israel's going to count on him to con- rely on him to confirm a false covenant. Uh, they don't think it's a false covenant necessarily, but it is called the false covenant. Uh, they will rely on him like they relied on Bill Clinton to confirm a covenant with Jordan in 1994 and uh, Jimmy Carter to confirm a covenant with Egypt prior to that. Uh, so he'll be a political leader and he'll be a supreme religious leader because it says in Revelation 13 uh, the false prophet will uh, have everybody worship the beast and take his mark uh, that if they want to buy and sell and if you don't you'll be killed. Uh, Revelation 20 tells, it'll actually, tells us they'll actually be beheaded. So um, hmm. that, okay. I think the Antichrist is alive today because Satan really never knew the, the, the rapture of the church is an imminent event. It's a signless event. Satan really never knew when it would happen. And so he has to have a point man available at all the time. Now, Satan had offered Christ the kingdoms of the world and those three temptations in the wilderness, but Christ 
you know, rejected those, but it was a, it was a legitimate, valid offer. So some political leader who comes out of the European Union, we're told in Daniel 9, 26, that Antichrist comes out of the people who destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the sanctuary, which was their temple, that was the Roman Empire. Uh, when, when this political leader is, uh, when the rapture, after the rapture, this political leader will be offered that same kind of offer, I think, the kingdoms of the world, and he will take it. And Satan will uh, give signs, and I mean, we're talking about a time when the supernatural will be the, the natural, the paranormal will be the new normal. Everything will be different once, you know, the, the, at that point in time when Satan is unrestrained to put forward his signs and lying wonders, and that's in Second Thessalonians two, like I said. You know, okay, and to expand upon what you said, and I apologize if if this is going backwards, but um, there, there's much discussion about where well, you had this you you. Given, given the attributes of the Antichrist, any idea Muslim Antichrist? Uh, what part of the world we should be looking at, or would be looking at for the the rise of the, of this Antichrist? Yeah, well, the traditional teaching that I believe is very scriptural. Uh, we were given really the origin clues in Daniel nine twenty six. He comes out of the people who destroyed the city and the sanctuary, Jerusalem seventy A D, the Roman Empire. Uh, so we've been looking for a revived Roman Empire per se, and that, that was also predicted in Daniel, etc. Uh, relatively recently, uh, Joel Richardson, who's a friend of mine, uh, came out with the concept uh, that the Antichrist would be a Muslim, and he's gotten quite a few people who think that's the case, but uh, most of us would still disagree with that, like Dr. David Reagan, Dr. Mark Hitchcock, uh, Dr. Ed Henson. Uh, Gary Stearman, I could list a whole number of people. And there's several reasons for that. Um, one is, uh, we, we know the origins of the Roman Empire, but also the, uh, no Jew would trust a Muslim to confirm a covenant for their security. Right. Uh, no Muslim would do the things, they, they're not, they it would be a, anathema, a fatwa would be put on over their head if they declared themselves to be above all that's called God. That's that's what happens when it's, I think that's in Daniel 11 or somewhere like that. Um, so there's a book that I refer to when this question comes up, written by Dr. David Reagan, called the, the Man of Lawlessness. And what he did was he he interviewed about 20 of us, uh, myself included, Hitchcock, etc., uh, about whether we thought he'd be a Muslim and if we didn't, why not? And uh, and my my main argument is that I believe pre-trib events will uh, cause Allah to lose his akbar. His greatness. Now let me explain that. I kind of say that in humor. Psalm 83 is a predominantly Muslim war dealing with the nations around Israel. We talked about that. When Israel, the IDF defeats them, that's a huge punch to the gut of Islam. I mean, there's about 1.6 billion or 1.8 billion Muslims in the world, but in Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38, which is also all Muslim except for Russia, predominantly all Muslim, uh, you can have about 600 to 800 million Muslims that are either killed captured or in exile and you know the the Muslims Islam is going to be compromised by then and, and the Muslims are going to be going what just happened <laughs> how, how come Allah who's the greater God Allah Akbar they believe uh, how come he can't you know win these wars and uh, so I'm, I'm looking really at Islam not being very vibrant going into the tribulation period but it has to be vibrant if the Antichrist is a so called Muslim because uh, Israel would you know, uh, confirm a covenant and based on, and, and also Joe Richardson and I debated him in a debate on this about Mystery Babylon, the Harlot World religion. Because before the Antichrist merges to power, he locks steps with this Harlot World religion, Mystery Babylon of Isaiah 17. 
it says that the harlot sits on the beast, the Antichrist, and in Revelation 17, 5 or 7, it says that she, he carries her to her height. So they're in a relationship in the beginning. And he believes that that's also Islam. So I debated him on that subject because I believe that's actually the, the, it talks about it's centered in a great city. And I, I believe that that's Rome and I believe that's Papal Rome, the Vatican. Uh, but he believes it's Mecca. So we had a debate called The Identity of Mystery Babylon, Mecca or Rome. And that's available on my website, prophecydepot.com. Three hours of amazing discussion and research. Um, that I would invite your listeners to get their hands on that if they really want to understand the the arguments about Mystery Babylon and the details about Mystery Babylon. So it was a debate, but really more of a discussion with an enormous amount of research. Uh, okay, and that's prophecydepot.com, you said, right? Prophecydepot, like homedepot.com. Right. All right, fantastic. Yeah, the, uh, folks, definitely check that out. Um, if Now, I know this is kind of an unfair question, but if... Uh, Anyone new to this topic, these topics that we're talking about this hour? Uh, you, you have a vast array of books, all of them, I mean, all of them right on the money, but if you had to choose one or two for the person coming into this new at this point, what are your recommendations of, of your books? Well, the, the easiest and most understandable book I believe that I've written and it was done so intentionally so that the common person could understand something when they walked away from reading some prophecies. It's called the Now Prophecies. Not only is it easy to understand, but it is dealing with the prophecies I would suggest people are on the lookout for right now. And so that's the Now Prophecies. It's a book and a DVD, and uh, it's available at prophecydepot.com. We've got the slide up there as well, so I appreciate that. But I would also recommend if people want to know, well, what, what is the harlot about? what's going to happen to the world as we approach the tribulation period after the church age and all that, I would recommend the Apocalypse Road Book that I came out with in January of 2017. And that book is a novel and a commentary. So we're trying to appeal to people who like to read novels, but also people who like to read biblical commentaries, you know, nonfiction books. So what I do is I write about the story of this family going through the end times in the novel. It's been professionally edited by, I was tutored by a novelist, because I'm not a novelist per se, but we had a novelist help me with it, and her name was Ellen Trailer, well-known prophetic novelist, and then in the commentary, I explained chapter by chapter what I said in the novel to give it biblical credibility, so, you know, I, I also highly recommend that book as well, and it also comes with a DVD. Great. Bill, we only got about eight minutes left. Is there anything that we haven't touched on or covered that you want to make sure we, we talked about today? Well, why don't we do this for a minute? I'm going to go open up my Bible real quick. I want to read Jeremiah 12, okay. verses 14 through 17, because Jeremiah chapter 12. Because Donald Trump is about to, we believe, hence are, going to unleash, you know, announce his Middle East peace plan. And... I want to alert your audience to the fact that God has a Middle East peace plan that none of the international leaders thus far have shown any recognition of. And it's in Jeremiah chapter 12, verses 14 through 17. And when I was on the Marcus and Joni uh, show on Daystar, it was right at the end of the time when John Kerry was trying to put together the peace between the Arabs and the Jews, the Palestinians and the Jews. And, of course, that collapsed. But they asked me a question. They said, if you were sitting with John Kerry, what would you tell him? And here's what I would tell him, and here's what I would tell Donald Trump and your audience. 
God knew that when he brought the Jews back out of the diaspora, and there's lots of prophecies that said that would happen, uh, the, the Israel that came to birth in 1948 celebrating its 70 year anniversary is not a, you know, a, a random event. It's a fulfillment of biblical prophecies. And he knew it would be a problem because of the ancient hatred of the Arabs and the, toward the Jews. It never went away. It got embellished into Islam. Remember, God knows the beginning from the end. He knew there would be wars, etc. He predicted them in Psalm 83, etc. So he knew that it would be a big deal, not an easy undertaking. undertaking. And we see that is the case. You know, land for peace deals have failed by, you know, Clinton and Bush and Obama, etc. And here's what he says. Thus says the Lord against my evil neighbors, catch that, he's calling the Arabs around them evil neighbors, who touch the inheritance which I have caused my people to inherit, which would be their land, of Israel, presently called Israel. He says, Behold, I will pluck them out of their land and pluck the house of Judah from among them. So what he's saying is he's going to pluck out, that's forceful language, I'm not going to go voluntarily, he's going to pluck them out of the land of Israel, and he's going to pluck the Jews out of their Arab lands, and he's going to put them all back where they belong. And then he says, Then it shall be after I have plucked them out that I will return and have compassion on them and bring them back, everyone, to his heritage and everyone to his land. Now, this is the land for peace deal of the century that no one's talking about. The Ottoman Empire was defeated in 1917. And when they left, the, the Middle East got divvied out between the French and the Brits. And, you know, you had Egypt, I think it was 1922, got its statehood again. Saudi Arabia and Iraq, I think, was 1935. Uh, Jordan and Syria, I think, was 46. Israel, 1948. That was a land for peace deal. I mean, God put them back in those places. I mean, they got their statehood again, and Israel got its statehood. And he says, this shall be after I pluck them out and return, and I will have compassion on them and put them all back into their heritage, everyone to his land, not just the Jews, the Arabs and the Jews, very compassionate. And he says in Jeremiah 12, verse 16, And it shall be if they will learn the ways of my people to swear by my name as the Lord lives, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be established in the midst of my people. They would be established in the midst of the nation of Israel and the return of the Jewish people. But he said they would need to learn carefully the ways of his people and as the Lord lives and swear by his name as they taught his people, the Jews, back at Jeremiah's time, to swear by the false god Baal. Now, that false god, the Jews were sacrificing their children to that false god. So we're talking about they need to worship the god of the Bible on the same level they had caused the Jews to worship the false god Baal to the point where they would be, you know, I mean, that, that's a huge thing to sacrifice your kids. Not the rest, not that the Lord wants them to sacrifice their kids. Don't get me wrong. But I'm trying to show the zeal that they showed back then. But here's what he says. I think we froze again in just the final moments of the interview. Uh, we were at 9.55, only got four minutes left with Bill, and he's getting right to the, the point that he was trying to make. So we'll try to bring him back so he can make that point. And if we can't get him back, then we'll have to have him on again because he is... How incredible uh, is that, Tony? Yeah, twice. Twice. And again, uh Bill was on our, our daily show that's up on YouTube from Friday where we talked about a, a lot of this thing, but he's going into a lot more detail in a number of other areas and... What's so fascinating is that this stuff is alive right before us as we see, you know, the 70th year anniversary of Israel being a nation again. The move to recognize Jerusalem as the capital, moving the U.S. Embassy there. Not only that, but the Arab Spring, the Iran deal, 
what we're seeing with the alignment of, of China, Russia, and Iran, our technological capabilities. As it said in Daniel, knowledge shall increase and people would run to and fro, and we're seeing that. We're seeing the reorientation of the, the Middle East. We're seeing Damascus become a ruinous heap as it was prophesied in Isaiah. And all these things are happening in the time span of just a few years. Imagine what more can happen when we're talking about, you know, 2019, 2020, and 2021. Uh, how much further along this timeline will we be? And again, if you want to read Bill's materials, go to prophecydepot.com and check out some of his books. As he says, The Now Prophecy. He has Revelation Road, Psalm 83, Israel and all of those are available as well as a lot of other content that is up there. He's got a newsletter. He's got, uh, up, every day updating his website on, uh, different articles and, uh, issues related directly to prophecy and the Middle East. And it is a, a great place to, uh, go and check out each and every day for the latest prophetic news and things that are, are breaking in our, uh, right in our real time. So it's definitely a very a, compelling speaker as well for events and such. Yeah. It's an amazing time to to be alive, and uh, there is so much going on. And one of the things I wanted to follow up on him with was uh, Mystery Babylon. Uh, he talked about that being Rome and the Catholic Church. Well, Joel Richardson, who we had on, we've had on several times, thinks it is Saudi Arabia. And isn't it interesting? We're seeing the alliance between Israel and Saudi Arabia, and that's another thing I wanted to ask uh, Bill about. Well, you did cover that time. a little bit um, peripherally, anyway. Uh, Bill did. Somewhat within the prophecy, I wrote it. I wrote some notes down here, and, and maybe I'm. Uh, but go back and listen. I'll tell you what, folks. This was an hour to to very well worth it to go back and listen to Bill explain the prophetic uh, timeline. So I, I know we touched on that at the, at the periphery of one of his the references to one of the uh, the prophecies here. And I, I wrote, again, I wrote it down here. I'm not even sure I I can recreate it. Well, that's fine. And and we will uh, talk with Bill again here in the near future, and we thank him for coming on. I guess one last headline in the last minute we have left. This from Zero Hedge just from a few moments ago. Flood is coming. New Comey McCabe emails suggest CNN and FBI coordinated over Steele dossier. Apparently what had happened was they tried to entrap the Trump administration by actually giving the media, giving the Hillary Clinton emails to the president or one of his advisors before they were released. And also it's come out now that there have been new strings that have been uh, tacked across the, the cork board in the rapidly unraveling 2016 election scandal. Recently obtained FBI emails shed light on what appears to have been high-level coordination between the FBI and CNN surrounding the release of the infamous Steele dossier. Four-day four day, four uh, advance mm-hmm. uh Amazing. But, yeah. It, Since they're the most rabid crazy. anti-Trump people out there saying he's the one who's creating the constitutional crisis. He's the one who is the danger when in reality, as we said all along, way back when this started, it looks like CNN and other media outlets responsibility in this conspiracy is that's just as much as the government. By the way, the constitutional crisis, that's going to be the new mantra. Like fake news, it's going to be constitutional crisis. Evoked by Donald Trump, according to the media, but the media, as a matter of fact, is exploiting that. Uh, more tomorrow on Doug Hagman Radio Show about that very issue, the constitutional crisis. Tomorrow, nine o'clock, Doug Hagman Radio Show, two to three, John, Joe and John, Hagman Daily Show, and of course, back here tomorrow night, 
for the flagship show, The Hagman Report. Thanks so much for listening. May God bless each and every one of you.